get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Sending stuff's there, clearly made ditches. Changeup was there, slider was there. You know, fastball had some life to it, but a lot of balls in the plate. You know, Fred went and got that down and got the one. The second one wasn't really too bad a pitch, kind of what we were looking for, but he got under it and clearly got it out of there. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mike Schilt explaining what went wrong for Carlos Martinez last night. We can do it a little bit more simple than that. Does Everything. It, does it, does it need explaining? <laughs> I was like, what, what do you explain? You just, you watch the game. Yeah, you That's what went wrong. There's no explanation. Guys. Oh. I have been a Carlos Martinez supporter. I have been a Carlos Martinez advocate. He has officially been BKO'd. BKO'd. It's over. (laughs) We need like a a boxing bell for that. We do. Ding, ding, ding. It's done. It is finished. Carlos Martinez as a starter. We can put that dream to rest. He gave up two runs in the first inning, gave up another in the second, gave up three more in the third. Cards down 6-0 before you even put the kids down for bed and we're able to come out and watch the game. Here we go, Rivs. BKO'd. There we go. I like like it. He is now allowed nearly twice as many hits, 32, as he has total strikeouts this season, 17. It's but done. he's got great stuff. He doesn't. That's the he's other got problem. Great potential. He did. He had great stuff, especially as a reliever. He was throwing 97 miles an hour with his four seam. The problem is, as a starter, he's taking a little bit off of it so he could get deeper into games. And now his four seam that used to be 97, 98 is sitting at 93. Ooh. And it's coming straight through the zone. So every time it comes in, he's giving up doubles. He's given up homers. Oh. They're touching seats. It's over. It's over for Carlos Martinez as a starter. I wanted it to work for him. It hasn't. They've learned what they needed to know. This was the goal of the 2020 season for a lot of guys. Carlos Martinez among them. What'd you make of it last night, Jamie? So what I made of it is like right away in the second inning, I was already disgusted. I was already throwing dirty dishes into the sink with disgust to where my wife is like, you're going to break something. And I'm like, I don't care. That's where I was. Rivers' text was, Carlos, comma, buddy. (laughs) That was it. Dude. (laughs) But, yeah, so since his comeback from COVID, you know, he – this is, I guess, what bothers me the most is he publicly says to the team, to Mike Schilt, no, I don't want to go to your bullpen. I want to be a starter, and when I'm ready to go, I'll be a starter. That's it. So Schilty, I'm sure, who was reluctant at the time, thought to himself, all right, maybe he's got a point. 
every now and then you got to try and trust your players, especially if a guy like Martinez has the stuff that we all have seen before we talk about. So he does that. He, he accommodates him. And what does Carlos do in return? Every start he has, he gives him a bullpen game, basically. He gives him an inning and a half of good pitching. Heck, we didn't even get to an inning and a half last night, but it's short spurts of good pitching. I've never seen a, a guy more bullpen ready than Carlos Martinez. Like He is not a starter in, in any league in any planet. Not at the moment, anyways. You, you know, the sad part is he was trending in the right direction, at least. When he came back from injury, you have one start, three innings, three earned runs. Okay, not great, but you know what? It's something. The next start... That was the best one he had, I Well, think. the next one was, it was the four innings oh, and yeah, one yeah, earned yeah. run. Okay, then it's right. like, okay, look, because I said to you guys, if he goes out after this and builds off of that, I'm at least confident that we have something here. But he digressed. You went down to three earned run or three innings and four earned runs, and then of course eight earned runs last night. That's 16 runs and three starts, guys. Our four that starts. Bad? That's not good. I mean, it's fine when you got a juggernaut for an offense to back it up, I'm right? I'm glad at least the Cardinals left him out there, though, so you yeah. didn't tax your bullpen well, last night. What the heck night. are you going to do? If I'm Mike Schilt, I, we talked about it. We were texting back and forth. I'm like, I lead that guy in there at least in the seventh to. inning. You have to. So He's got to wear it. I thought Ben Fredrickson wrote a great column earlier today for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I want to read you a piece of this because he basically argued what you guys are arguing right now. If Carlos Martinez is going to be a part of this team in the future, it is not as a starter. It is as a reliever. And here's his support for that. Wednesday marked Carlos Martinez's 15th start for the Cardinals since he returned from a rehab stint of a right lat strain back in June of 2018. 15th start since June of 2018. He has a 6-5 ERA in those 15 starts. 6-5. He's lasted seven innings. Height. <laughs> He's lasted seven Short. innings just once in that span. He has reached the sixth inning twice in that stretch of 15 starts. In those 15 games, the Cardinals are 5-10, and 10, and opponents are batting 304 against him. Is that good? That is good. All of that is bad. Oh, okay. Well, it's good for the other yeah. team. How about as a reliever, though? Since his return from that right lat strain in June of 2018, Carlos Martinez has a 2.7 ERA in 63 appearances out of the pen. He's still been good after that injury as a bullpen guy. You can use him as a weapon, but it's not as a starter. He cannot come back to this team thinking he's a starter next year. And if he still has that in the back of his mind and he refuses to go back to the bullpen, he's got to be traded. He can't. He cannot be on oh, this team BK, next year. He's got to be trade bait automatically. I don't now. know what you get for him though in the trade That's market. That's the problem. Twelve million dollars. Yeah. Who's picking that up? Before his know. injury, before he came back, where he wanted to be a starter, and you only saw one start, and he was injured. Okay, maybe somebody would take a chance. The injury history is what caught him. Now he's come back and he stated that I'm a starter and he's been bad and he's hurt still. Now yeah, there's is no he hurt. Okay, because I'm watching that game last night. You see how fast night. he parted to that, that lap? I don't <laughs> care. Last night I'm watching that game, and I'm looking at his face and the body language for two innings leading up to that point. He was looking for a way out of That's that game. That's how you get out. I'm almost, po- I'm almost positive at one point he thought about beaning a couple of guys <laughs> just to get thrown out. And then he comes up, and you see him, oh, he pulls himself out of the game because of injury. I'm telling you what, man, I, I call on that one there. I, I, but I do think I think Carlos is done for the year anyways. If we see him, it would be second or third round of the playoffs if she even puts him in the bullpen. I, so you laughed at him saying, I, I, I think he was potentially going to throw at people. I've se- we've seen that happen. Guys will eject themselves basically from the game, right? Like they'll, they'll say 
I got nothing. I got nothing for you here. I'm, yeah. I'm done. I don't want to be in this game anymore. I just want to be anywhere but on this mound. I, he might have gotten hurt last night. It's it's very possible that he did end up getting hurt and he hurt his, his side. We've seen I mean, that from him before. It's too convenient to go right back to something you've had before and be oh, I just tweaked it, but I'll be okay in a couple of days. That being said, convenient is the right word. It was a very convenient timing of the injury because he wanted to be off of that mound. He wanted no part of being up there anymore. You know it who, was embarrassing the way that he played last night. It you, was. You know who else wanted off that mound? Seth Elledge. Oh. <laughs> Come in and then it's like, okay, well, I have this ish show on the, on the mound. And then you give up that three-run bomb. His face walking back to the mound after that home run was, why the hell am I even in here right now? It was brutal. I, I, mean that, I would go back in and punch Martinez in the face in the dugout. Be like, thanks a lot, man. So Chip Rivers, this isn't hockey. Have that you seen w- the guys the other night? Washington Nationals had a fight in their dugout. That's true. That's true. That was the pitching side of things. And that was ugly. The offense also was bad last night. We got to give a little oh. bit of criticism to the offense because oh. it went two for seven. Yeah, but that wasn't surprising. No. However, there was a particular moment that I want to discuss with you guys right. in that game because we got to talk about Mike Schilt's decision. Oh, he yes. hit Brad Miller over Matt Carpenter. Cardinals in this spot had the bases loaded. It was two outs down six to one in the top of the six. So this was before the game really got out of hand. Cardinals down six to one bases loaded two outs top of the sixth inning. If ever there was a moment to pinch hit Matt Carpenter, this is the moment. How often have we talked about how Matt Carpenter with the bases loaded is the greatest player in the history of baseball? He's one of like two of the greatest players, greatest average with so many at bats. And there's more BK. So he's a 491 career hitter with the bases loaded. He also hits better at Kauffman Stadium than he does anywhere else in all of baseball. (laughs) He has an OPS over a thousand in his career at Kauffman Stadium. It's his best OPS at any stadium in which he's played at least 10 games in his entire career. So in that moment, bases loaded at Kauffman Stadium, top of the sixth inning, you're down by five runs. You go with Brad Miller? Yeah. Who, by the way, is one for his last 20 and has cooled off incredibly. And then he grounds out in that spot. I just, I did not understand. He made it. He he had a duck fart down first baseline right to the first baseman. He almost beat it out. God, I I was shocked, too, because we talked about it yesterday, I believe, on the show, maybe the day before, just how good Matt Carpenter hits in that baseball yep. field. And then last night, we, and we joked about it, too. We go, imagine if he gets bases loaded in Kansas City. Hey. Well, guess what? It happened. And then <laughs> Schilte makes a decision to go with Brad Miller. And I'm, I was sitting there. I'm like, OK, Schilte, you got me here. I want to figure out where you're headed. Wait, oh, wait, Brad Miller hits left-handed just like Matt Carpenter. So it's not like we're worried about a righty-lefty situation. Um, yeah, you lost me, Schulte. I have no idea at all why you wouldn't have put Matt Carpenter in that situation. Does it show where the Cardinals are at with Carpenter right now? Yeah, that, that they wouldn't use him in that spot? Because one, bomb there, the- bring it, one bomb there makes it 6-5. Any luck at oh, all, it's 6-4. Totally agree with you. I, I would have gone with Matt Carpenter there. I do wonder if it shows us where their confidence level is in Matt Carpenter that they didn't use yeah, him in that spot. He has access to those stats. At the end of the day, you just default to the end of analytics and you go, you know what? He's been cold, whatever. But this is what the analytics tell me. Both and- of them have been cold. If you're going recency, both of them are cold. So I- at least go with the guy that has shown that he can hit there in those spots. I sent you the text last night and 
you guys thought I was joking. And yes, there was a little sarcasm to it, but I also think there's a little truth behind it. There might be some fatigue from the Cardinals perspective of saying, boy, Matt Carpenter just doesn't have it right now. For one at bat? Come on. Matt Carpenter doesn't have it, but neither does Brad Miller. Yeah. I think like, I think John Mozeliak said that all fatigue. I mean, hell, go with Matt Weeders there. At least Weedy's hitting well. What? Listen, I don't. Weedy's whatever. This, the numbers speak volumes to me here. Matt Carpenter, for whatever reason, comes up big with the bases loaded, and he's really good in that ballpark. It's a no-brainer. You can't even be questioned about it by the media. No, you, you can't. can't. The lineup stunk last night. They ended up with. Over the entire game, 11 base runners, 10 strikeouts, just two walks in the game. And you're going up against the Royals. How do you lose that? Well, Cy Young was on the mound. He was to start the game. I'm sure it was him. Danny Duffy. I'm I'm a guy that's watched a lot of Danny Duffy in his career. There was once upon a time when he was a really good pitcher where last night's result makes a lot of sense. That is not who Danny Duffy is anymore. You can't lose that series against the Royals. You just can't. It started out the same way that the Pirates series did, but then I thought that they were going to get back on track after what we saw in game two. And then for that to be the way that you respond in the rubber, it's, it is rough, man. And so now the Cardinals find themselves in a spot where they basically have to go three and two against Milwaukee to feel good about their playoff chances. Got a five game set here. Potentially a doubleheader on Monday. I think they're going to have to play that too. I think it's going to get so close with everything that they're going to have to play. I'll tell that. you what, with the way that Cincinnati's playing right now, Cardinals should be very concerned about making the postseason. Cincinnati I mean, they has be. the Twins this weekend. They've got a three-game set against them. It, if there's a matchup that you feel potentially good about with Cincinnati, that might be the yeah, one. But Milwaukee hit you around the last time you played them, and you had your your top guys on the mound. Every one of Milwaukee's struggling guys was no longer struggling no, no, after that Yellich last was series. Hitting 100, yeah. and then afterwards yeah. he's hitting 300. <laughs> we will discuss what <laughs> the Cardinals oh, <laughs> need to do in that series. And, man, the pitching depth that we talked so much about this year just is not there right now. So we'll talk about all of that as we go along today. Mark Saxon going to join us coming up at 1130 to talk about his column about the Cardinals tanking and why Jamie Rivers, Jamie Rivers, agrees with his column about it. back, sexy. But coming up next, he's a former NHL agent. He's a former NHL general manager. He can give us both sides of the current negotiation with Alex Petrangelo. He's Brian Lawton. He's going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Petrangelo negotiations are not going well right now. Not going well, Jamie Rivers, and we're hoping that he's able to get that turned around here in St. Louis. But let's get a little bit of analysis on this from Brian Lawton. He's a former NHL agent, former NHL general manager as well. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Brian, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Uh, Let's start with that negotiation and what you've made from the outside looking in. What do you make of the tactic of Petro really kind of speaking out about how this is going? Um, I feel like I've been uh, almost exactly where he is in terms of an agent with Doug Armstrong, as a matter of fact, when I really think about it, because I was representing uh, Mike Madonna in kind of a similar type situation, although Mike was a little bit older than Alex is. And uh, Doug's a son of a gun to negotiate with. He's always very polite. He's one of the top general managers in the league, uh, but he's very firm. 
And when he's got something in his mind, it is tough to move him off of that. He can be elusive, um, but he can be direct as well. And I would imagine that Alex Petrangelo and his camp uh, were a bit frustrated by that. Therefore, one of the weapons at a player's disposal is to go out to the market and kind of announce to everybody that, hey, it's not really going that great. You might want to think about the possibility of me uh, being a free agent, which is a pretty good shot across the bow for St. Louis, but it also allows clubs an opportunity to think about how would that work? This is one of the most challenging years ever in terms of where the salary cap's at because of the pandemic. So that adds even more chaos. I love it. I used to love this part of the business. And at the same time, I don't miss it at all either. <laughs> all right, lots. I want to keep. I want to have you keep your G or your agent hat on here for a second, and you know, take us inside those meetings with Petro and his own agency, Newport Sports. How hard is it right now for the agency to keep this business like to keep Alex focused on the business side and try to take some of the emotion out of it? Obviously, as it's getting closer and closer to the deadline, I'm sure frustrations are growing. No doubt about it. And, and Doug can be very cerebral when you're dealing with them. From Alex's standpoint, you know, you're going to present the other comparables. You're going to look at these new contracts that have been signed. And uh, you're going to say, why not me? You know, and you're probably going to start with a guy like Roman Yossi. Why is he so He doesn't want a Stanley Cup. He hasn't done what I've done. And Nashville Predators aren't necessarily uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs in terms of revenue generated. Uh, it's working for them to pay him above nine, why not? Why not Alex? And, you know, we don't, we don't really know what the terms are exactly. All we know is what we read publicly, which is allegedly eight times eight. So that's where the fight starts. And then you got to try to talk your way around that if you're Doug Armstrong, uh, while you're trying to talk your way into that if you're Alex's camp. So, you know, these are fascinating battles. I always find, honestly, guys, that uh, they, they they come down to the very, very end before people really show their cards. Um, but I got to tell you, Doug, he absolutely beat us up on Mike Madonna. And I tried everything with Mike. Doug fairly recognized that Mike Madonna did not want to leave the Dallas Stars. And I had other teams, and I would say, Mike, you got to jump on a plane and go see uh, the Chicago Blackhawks or the Boston Bruins. I'm not going to sign there, Brian. Please don't tell anybody that, Mike. <laughs> would you mind jumping on a plane and going there? <laughs> like, so you can only imagine uh, when you really break it down. It, it is fascinating. Uh, I think Doug is banking on a, a player that's beloved in St. Louis, that's won a Stanley Cup, had enormous success, that just had – arguably his best year of his career, uh, any metric you want to use. I know it's not his career high points-wise, but it was less games, and he is more impactful now than he's ever been. So I get it, but I think Doug's banking, uh, to some degree, strong ties to the community that uh, Alex Petrangelo is not leaving St. Louis. He was right in Mike Badano's case, and to be honest with you, he absolutely freaking stuffed me. I'm not mad about it. I actually had a lot of admiration for him. I was like, that was that was well handled. It really, truly was. It happens. So it's got to be frustrating at the end of the day. 
Again, we're talking with Brian Lawton, former NHL agent, former NHL GM, former number one pick overall, and he does great work over on the NHL Network. So, Lots, I want to shift. I want to switch sides here now. Now I want you to quickly put your GM hat on for me, and you have a player of Alex Petrangelo's skill set. He's arguably, I don't think it's much of an argument, but he's easily in the top five defensemen in the NHL, recently fourth in Norris Trophy voting, second team all-star again for the third time, first captain in history to lift the cup for your franchise, career high in goals scored this year. He's a minute-munching defenseman. He's a last-minute-of-the-game kind of guy. So you're the GM. Why are you not locking this guy up quicker and ending the saga? Sure, that's a great question. The, the first answer right off the top of your head is eight years. I love Alex Petrangelo, but I am significantly fighting the odds that he will he will be meaningful in a huge way. And this has to give Doug some comfort, but in a huge way, he'll be meaningful for six more years. I know it sounds harsh. It sounds cruel. St. Louis fans are probably ready to throw the radio out the window right now. <laughs> but that, that's... That's just the intellectual view of a player 30 years old, where he's going. And, you know, you have to wrestle with that. We've seen in the past the teams that got really, really got burned is they rewarded players in these types of positions. We could say L.A. Um, you know, there's lots of teams that have done it. And it hasn't worked out well. It never works out well. And yet, you know how valuable he is to the community. You know how valuable he is to his teammates the coaches, the organization, the GMs have a really, really, really tough job. That would be the number one thing that would be concerning as to why Doug Armstrong would be holding where he's holding. The second issue, and now I'll really get the fans to throw their radio out the window, <laughs> is that the St. The Louis Blues, they're not a top 10 revenue-generating team in the league. That puts them, you know, they, they've done an incredible job. They won a Stanley Cup, and they did it unique. They didn't do it by what I call the be bad to be good strategy where they sucked for a number of years, got a bunch of high draft picks, and then you rise up and win Stanley Cups a la Chicago, Pittsburgh, and L.A. to some degree. They all had you know really high picks as their core guys. Alex is the only guy that really was a top five that they drafted on their team. They have some other guys like Shen that were in that range – but they didn't draft him. They had to go out and trade for him. So I got a ton of respect for the organization. But I understand that they have certain metrics that they're marching to as an ownership group. And Doug has to make everything fit within that. Doug gets a ton of freedom to do what he wants. But at the end of the day, there's only so many marbles that he has to play with. And he has to figure out how to allocate them. This stresses that model. Brian, I wanted to ask a little bit of a follow-up on that about the structure of this contract because that's one thing that we've heard so much about. Apparently, Petro's side would like to get signing bonuses in there. They would like to get a no-movement clause, and those are both things that Army just doesn't do. He hasn't given out signing bonuses in the deals. The only deal on the current Blues that has that 
is Ryan O'Reilly, and he had that in Buffalo before he was traded here to St. Louis. Same thing for the no movement clause. Army has never given one out. So as a general manager and then on the side of the agent, if you could kind of play both sides for me, what are the pros and the cons for that? And why do you think it is that Army is so hesitant to give that out to a guy like Petro, who was the captain, has been a top five NHL defenseman and has done everything that you could possibly want him to do here in St. Louis? Yeah, he, he, basically the the players want to make sure their contracts are guaranteed all the way through. So the way that you do that as an agent is you ask for signing bonus, not just up front anymore. Now that's actually lost some value because escrow is so high. It's not as advantageous to get big payments up front. Some players are talking about delaying even getting paid until revenues have a chance to jump back up. Therefore they'll pay less escrow. But at the end of the contract, when you could potentially get bought out, when your value isn't as good, the way you guarantee the money is you put it in signing bonus. So even if Alex had an AAV of $8 million, as we heard to be rumored, he would be delighted to take $7 million in the signing bonus the last year and have a $1 million salary. So no matter what happens, Alex can count on getting that money. Now, if he gets bought out, he still gets two-thirds of whatever the salary is gets spread out over time, so you lose value. It's just the semantics of it. But from the agent's perspective, when everybody else that has a top player is getting it, it looks really bad for you as an agency. Now, I'm not saying that's what they care about, but trust me, they are aware of it. You get graded as a firm, and if you're a top firm in this business, a CAA, a Newport, um, Octagon, my old firm, I can't forget them. Uh, It matters. And there's a lot of other really good firms in the National Hockey League right now. So it's very competitive. There's so many different dynamics at work here. Alex doesn't care about that. St. Louis Blues don't care about that. But it is part of the equation. All right, lots. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Once again, we're going to be putting the GM hat on you, okay? Do you make this deal? Do you make sure this deal gets done to keep Alex Petrangelo in St. Louis based on the fact of what he's done, what he could do potentially? And in my opinion, I think even on the downside of his career, he'll still be a top four defenseman on your team. Are you making sure this deal gets done if you're putting on your GM hat? Uh, I would... I would be just like Doug Armstrong in terms of Doug absolutely desperately wants to get this done, but you got to be disciplined. And part of the way that ownership groups really handicap uh, uh, GMs is they put restraints on them and things like that. It takes some of that. I don't want, I don't know what the right term is. The, the ability to audible on the line and just make an instinctual call. Um, you cannot get away from the fact that odds are his value will be significantly less at the end of his career, that you are paying him for some past performances. Now, it's not a great formula. It's not a great recipe. I would still want him on my team if I were the GM. That's kind of a convoluted way of saying it. There's just, you know, he's a tough guy to get around. Um, He's a tough guy to justify letting go to free agency. Now, if the offer is he has to have $10 million, then I would tell you the exact opposite. That's just not something you could do. That'll have repercussions for the next 10 years yeah. for the franchise. That's fair. Yeah, there will be a player that comes along that will be better than Alex Petrangelo that you'll have to deal with. 
and you cannot have that on the board. So if he's within a range, for sure it has to start with an eight for me. If it starts with an eight, that strikes me as something that's a fair deal. Does eight sound fair? That sounds low to me, even eight times eight. We can do the math. I mean, this is what you do when you're an agent. Okay, I'll give him eight times eight. Jamie, you're really quick. Quick, that's sixty-four million, right? How about I give him not? How about he goes out to the market? I'll I'll give the answers for you guys. We don't like to put anybody on the spot. How about he goes out? <laughs> I'm to not the good market? at math, lots. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so so he goes to free agency and he gets a seven-year deal because he can't get eight. But that club make up anybody that has a low salary cap doesn't mean they're interested or do it. Buffalo, uh, Red Wings, Montreal has a lot of money. The Red Wings have a ton of money. New Jersey has a ton of money. So they'll give them $9 million a year. That's still only $63 million. And yeah. I know you knew that, Jamie, but I'll just say it anyhow. <laughs> so, so, so now there's a million difference. Do you care if you have to play that extra year? Most players don't. Alex loves playing. I'm sure he'd like to play till he's 50 if they'll let him. But uh, eventually they take your skates away and you end up like us, just talking about this stuff. So uh, it's it's like I said, guys, this is a classic battle, um, how it ends up. If you told me exactly what Alex and his camp were willing to take, I could give you a 100% firm answer. I don't know that right now from what I've read publicly. I'm not sure Doug Armstrong even completely has his head wrapped around that, and that's probably why there's some some gymnastics going on in terms of the numbers and, and terms and things like that. Well, Brian, we appreciate the time today. We are certainly looking forward to seeing how this saga ends, and we hope that it ends with him staying here in St. Louis. He's a former NHL general manager and NHL agent, also a former number one overall pick in the NHL. He's Brian Lawton. Brian, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. You got it. That's Brian Lawton here on 101 ESPN. What a reacts to a lot of that. We will do so coming up a little bit later on. But coming up next, Mark Saxon wrote a, wrote a story yesterday that really had Jamie going. We're going to talk to him about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Thrilled to be joined by our Cardinals insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Mark Saxon joining us on the show. Saxon, what the hell did I watch last night? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. If you watch the Cardinals game, probably nothing good. But if you were watching, like, you know, Shit's Creek or something, it might have been pretty enjoyable. I, you concerned me there for a second <laughs> with where you were going. You have my attention, Saxy. I watched, okay. uh, I watched Big Brother after we got to the seventh inning of the Cardinals game, and that was no better than the cards. So it was it was every bit as much of a disaster. Uh, let's get to Carlos Martinez, though, Saxy. What do we make of that, and what does it mean for his future here in St. Louis, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I, I keep reading that it may have been his last start for the Cardinals, I guess. I mean, he's under contract for next year at $11 million, which is a lot of money, but it's not, you know, ridiculous if he can provide the value he had in previous seasons. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's probably some frustration with him. Nobody has expressed any um, misgivings about how he prepared for these starts, but it, it certainly wasn't good, right? I mean, you could see the numbers, nine-plus ERA. 
Um, I think they have to ask some hard decisions. Is he a member of this pitching staff going forward? If he's not, what can you get for him? I'm not sure you can get as much as some people might think because of his injury history in the last couple of years. So they'll have to figure that out. Um, but we know that he's probably not going to pitch for them again in 2020. Saxy, how frustrated do you think Mike Schilt and the organization is, is the fact that he came back from COVID, they had plans for him to get in the bullpen and just kind of get himself going again, and he literally dug his heels in and was like, no, I want to be a starter. How frustrated do you think they are right now watching what has developed since that moment, and it hasn't been pretty? Well, I agree. I mean, I think if they're frustrated with anyone about that particular decision, though, they need to look in the mirror because ultimately who decides who's on a major league roster, the general manager, who decides who starts versus who relieves the the manager, the field manager. So it's their decision, you know, how to use these guys. All these guys have control over is how they perform when they're put into position. So if they did let Carlos Martinez kind of rough, rough shot his way into the rotation when they felt strongly that he deserved to be in the in the bullpen, then that's their fault. But I don't feel like that's the case, Jamie. I think at the time they thought, look, this guy is such good stuff. Maybe we can catch lightning in the bottle here, and he could be a really dynamic starter for us. But he wasn't able to do it, and, and it wasn't a very big runway, you know, to, to kind of gear up. And so I think it was just kind of a failed experiment. And, you know, I think what they hope is that it, it doesn't cost them a playoff berth. And I get what they were trying to do, Saxy. I actually agreed with it, frankly, because, I mean, you look back at who Carlos Martinez was as a starter when he was healthy. He was tremendous. He had amazing stuff. He was one of the best young starters in baseball. It's why he got the contract that he earned. That being said, his stuff is not the same that it once was. And so I kind of get frustrated whenever I see people say, like, Carlos has great stuff, but it's it's the mental approach. His stuff isn't the same that it once was. He was throwing 97 with his fastball on average whenever he was previously the starter that we think about in 2017. Now, last night, he was sitting at 93 with that fastball. And so have we seen his stuff also change a bit since all of those injuries, in your opinion? Yeah, but I mean that's that's a major league pitcher's life. That that is what every major league pitcher deals with, a starting pitcher particularly. You know, Carlos is only 28 years old, I believe. That's the remarkable thing about it. Um and so, you know, 94, 93, 94 with his off-speed pitches, I think are certainly good enough to get outs in the major leagues. Last night he was just right down the middle of the plate and they hit they hit him hard. I think there were like eight balls hit over 100 miles per hour. I mean, he just had her awful, awful command last night. And I do think if you look at these starts, you could make a logical conclusion that he's better off in the bullpen. I just don't think that's something they're going to really tackle until if they keep him on this roster until probably next, you know, going into next spring training because they just don't have to. There's more pressing kind of issues in front of them at the moment. All right, Saxy, I've been making the the argument, I guess, or just stating an opinion that unless the Cardinals pitching and their defense is absolutely perfect, they don't really give themselves a chance to win a game. And what I mean by that is if they get down by, heck, a run or two, 
it's not like they have this juggernaut offense that just can come ripping back into a game. Now, we've seen that against some of the lower teams that have kind of self-imploded with walks or base or batters hit by pitches or errors. But we get to the postseason or trying to get into the postseason, we got to get a little more jump off those bats from the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, your basic kind of premise is impossible to argue with. You know, one of the numbers that I think is so extraordinary this season is that the Cardinals are 19-2 and in games in which they score four runs or more. Four runs in baseball is right, you know, right in that just below average range. We're not talking about an explosive kind of scoring night. We're just talking about kind of an average night. And the fact that they've had so many games where they couldn't score four runs tells you where we stand. Now, the only kind of counter argument, Jamie, to what you're saying is that kind of the reverse lock theory in baseball, which is what if they get in a series with one of these other teams and the other team just has an awful series, right? Like, you know, at times we've seen some of these teams just not hit or a pitcher kind of implode. Like, yeah, but that's risky, right, Saxy? Like, that's risky that we hope for that. No, 100%. And that's why you really, like, if you're being logical and you look at this offense, you just don't see it as kind of a championship-caliber offense. It's something like 25th in the league in slugging last time I checked. So, yeah, they just don't really have a lot of pop. And that's why that's why what you said is really exactly right. They have to pitch extremely well, and they have to continue to be the best defensive team in baseball, which I think they are. We're talking with Mark Saxon, Cardinals insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Saxon, I wanted to ask you about Paul DeYoung because I came into the season thinking he was going to be the guy that really took that next step. I thought he was primed to have a huge season this year. Well, he's one for 24 with 10 strikeouts and a walk in his last seven games. And if you look at the OPS plus over the last three years, he's basically been a league average hitter each of the last three seasons. What do you make of his decline over the course of a season? Because we've seen this now for the last few years where he kind of gets fatigued at the end of the year. And at this point, do we kind of know what kind of a hitter Paul DeYoung is in your opinion? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point, you know, but because for a while Paul DeYoung was making great strides in terms of cutting down strikeouts, um, bumping his walk totals up. He looked like he was becoming kind of that more pure hitter. Um, I, I do think he went into this year willing to sacrifice a little more, a little bit of his power for some on base and maybe to hit some doubles. He thinks that that's kind of who he truly is. You know, it's hard to say, you know, whether the, the COVID symptoms that he dealt with had some impact on his strength i think the reason overall though that you still view paul DeYoung as a as a a core member of this team is that his defense is so good right he's elite defensively even though he may not look like it because he's not one of these acrobatic type shortstops he's a guy who makes every play has a great arm has fantastic um synergy with colton wong i mean look at some of the double plays they turn so I think he's a valuable player, but I would agree with you. And I think if you talk to him, he would agree it's been a disappointing season at the plate. We're talking with uh, Mark Saxon here on 101 ESPN. Last question that I wanted to ask you, Saxy, and this is kind of looking forward to the future as well. There's been a lot of conversations lately about the finances in the offseason and what the Cardinals are going to be willing to spend. And one of the guys that has come up a lot in those conversations is Colton Wong. And we saw him make a tremendous play again defensively last night. I wonder in Europe, from where you stand today, that $12.5 million option for next season, do you think that's something that the Cardinals are likely to pick up? 
I do. I think it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, if you look at war, you know, you talked about his defense. It's, you know, near the very top of the league. And so he's saving runs, right, defensively. And I think he's a good enough hitter in terms of his on-base skills at this point where that that seems like a no-brainer to me. Now, on the other hand, if there is some imperative to cut the payroll because of the lack of gate this season – that could be an area they'd look at, you know, because they could plug Tommy Edmond into second, who's arguably a better offensive player than Colton Wong. I don't think he's quite the defender Colton is, but you could save really $10 because there's probably a buyout, probably about two, two and a half. So if, if they feel the imperative to get down or they're eyeing a move to bring in a little money and they can't do it unless it's cash neutral, you could see him involved in that. But my answer to your question is I would pick up the option and then see if I could trade him rather than just not having him on the roster. So I don't expect him to be, uh, you know, become a free agent in early November. Saxy, we've got just about 30 seconds left here. Do you think this team's going to make the playoffs? I do. I think they only need to win two games over this Brewers team who is eminently beatable. Um, now, if the wheels just completely fall off, that's the only way they don't make it. But I think for everyone on their team, they should also try to avoid that, that doubleheader up in Detroit. So I think they really need to win three for that to happen. But I see it happening one way or the other. He's Mark Saxon. You can read his work over on The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark A. Saxon. We always appreciate him joining us here on 101 ESPN. Saxy, you are the best man. Thanks so much. We'll talk with you soon, okay? All right, Chance. Have a good weekend. You got it. That's Mark Saxon joining us here on 101 ESPN, a big fan of the television show Schitt's Creek. So appreciate him joining us here. Today. I am too. Won a lot of awards the other night. That's I thought it. I was going to have to dump them. They, when uh, he said that, I was Canadians. like, what are you talking about? A lot of Canadians on that show. <laughs> well, naturally, that's why it won so many awards. Figure it out. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Text line for questions and answers from the 636. Guys, if the Blues do lose Petro, do you believe that their cup hopes go from solid to long shot? Yes, absolutely. If they lose Petro, guys, I'm telling you, and and Alex, you can jump in here on the end of this, is this is a, a league that's very difficult to make the playoffs in. And if you look at their division right now, you've got the Nashville Predators, Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets, St. Louis Blues are in the mix, but you lose your number one defenseman, everything gets harder. The power play's harder to run. The penalty kill's not quite as good. Your, uh, your defensive pairings against other teams' top lines, not quite as good. Everything suffers just a little bit, and those little things are what separate playoff teams from playing to, from teams that aren't in the playoffs. So, yeah, I firmly believe that if they if they let him walk or, or this deal just doesn't get done for some reason, they're definitely in a worse spot. Long shot might be a little too extreme, in my opinion, because you still do have the core of this team, but it's going to be very difficult because, uh, again, if you lose Petro, your identity is gone. Like, you have to shift your entire identity. You're no longer a defensive strong team. you got great defense, but you're not the best defense, not even close in the division. Nashville's better than you by far. Colorado's getting to that point. So you lose Petrangelo, your complete identity in changes, and I don't think you have enough to become an offensive 
juggernaut. One with cap space, two without Tarasenko. So again, I, th- I think long shot's a, a tough word to throw out there, but I think it's going to be extremely difficult to get in. Yeah, I, you wouldn't be one of the favorites anymore. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll put it that no, way. God, no. um, and I'm looking at their lineup for game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Guys that next season, at least early in the season, would not be playing that were in that lineup. Tarasenko would not be in there any longer. Maroon wouldn't be in there any longer. Petro, Bo Meester, Edmondson. I mean, that's, first of all, half of your defensive pairings are gone from the defense that won you a Stanley Cup. And then Tarasenko is obviously a significant piece, along with Pat Maroon as well. We're starting to get to the point, if Petro leaves, where that the core is still there, sure. But you're starting to lose quite a few pieces from the team that won you that Stanley Cup. This ends up becoming a different team than the one that won at that point two years ago. So, yeah, I I think you're starting to get to the point where maybe you're not a long shot, as Ferrario said, but you're definitely not one of the favorites anymore. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 618. Guys, after last night's performance from Carlos Martinez, I really believe that he will be in the bullpen if he stays a Cardinal. What do you guys think? I absolutely think he's bullpen bound at this point uh, and we'll see how serious his injury is or if he just was hurt feelings and didn't feel very good about his performance and wanted out. But if he's to pitch again for the St. Louis Cardinals this season, it's going to be in the bullpen. And I think that if he stays with the Cardinals long term, I think he's a bullpen guy. I just don't know if they go back to that experiment again and try to. They have a lot of pitchers and guys like Austin Gomber, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Yeah, they may not have. Carlos Martinez stuff well past stuff but they're pitching solid right now you'd have to think that they're inching their way ahead of him in the rotation bring back Miles Michaelis and I think it gets really crowded and I think Carlos Martinez he's in the bullpen or he's part of a package in the offseason when they go looking for hopefully some kind of a big bat in the outfield I think there's two options for Carlos I think option number one I think the preference for this team if I had to guess is a salary dump You find a team where they are interested in trying to use them as a reclamation project. Maybe it's a team that's tanking right now. They're like, listen, we'll take on the 12 and a half million and then we'll try to flip him at the deadline. Right. And then they try to get a prospect for him after they've made him look good either in their bullpen or their rotation next year. Option B is what this texter just said. He goes into your bullpen. I, I cannot see any way possible that Carlos Martinez, you come into next season counting on him as a starter for the Cardinals. I just, I don't know how you can do that after what we've seen this year. They were looking for answers on certain guys. Tyler O'Neill, you needed answers. Harrison Bader, you needed answers. Lane Thomas needed answers. What can Paul DeYoung be moving forward? We're going to get into that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. You needed answers there. Is he a cleanup hitter? You also needed answers on Carlos Martinez. Is he a part of the future of this rotation? I think you've had an affirmative or a definitive answer on him. And I think that the answer on Carlos is no, he's not a part of your rotation in the future. So I would not have him there. Six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Last one here from the six, three, six guys. What player do you think could become available to do for Goldschmidt? What holiday did for Albert Pujols? So basically, who do you guys think could be the Robin to Goldschmidt's Batman for this lineup? Now we're talking like acquiring that player or promoting from within. uh, Either of the two. Okay. Well, if I'll I'll give you an answer to both. How about that? We'll just make it easy. Uh, From promoting within, I still stand that I think Dylan Carlson would be 
incredible in front of Paul Goldschmidt. And I know it's early, and I know Dylan Carlson had a bit of a rough one last night. Hmm. By the way, he was batting right-handed all night. You're uh, just going to throw that out there? I am, because I keep saying as, as a left-handed batter, he's much more efficient. But anyways... My thought to this would be internally, probably Dylan Carlson. Externally, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, you know, I'll defer to you guys. I honestly don't know enough about the league except for the big names, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's not a big name that you're doing this with. It's it's going to be that tier right under it where you go find a guy like the Marcelo Zuna type player with you know, that kind of thing. So I'll defer to you guys for as far as an external player. Pro- external player. I mean, everyone wants George Springer. It's not going to happen with the money. That, I mean, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that you're going to have to fight to get George Springer because somebody will pay him that money. Um, Trade-wise, you know, we, we mentioned some names yesterday. I think Andrew Benetiendi is an in- intriguing name. I don't know if he's a Robin to Goldschmidt, but at least he helps in terms of contact. Uh, Cattell Marte is another good one. I'm going to stick with Jose Ramirez, though, and I don't know if yeah, it's going to... those guys too... Like, I find that those names are almost too big. Like, that they're unattainable. Too big, yes. But think of it this way. If Cleveland's in the postseason right now, but Cleveland also is, is on the, the precipice of, of turning it around and dumping people and restarting. If a Cleveland Indians get bumped in the wild card round and lose two of three, they might want to just start that fire sale immediately. I mean, they've already started it. You're talking Lindor Ramirez are going to be those next two pieces. Again, a lot of things have to work in the favor of the Cardinals yeah, for that. Line up outside the door, though. Yeah, the, but the, you got pitching. The and pitching is desirable. Are also a, too. They're also a team that in, in the normal times, they are talking about the finances. And now when you look at what the, the situation is right now, of course, they're going to be talking about finances. So I, I could see it to an extent. But Jose Ramirez is the type of guy where if he were to become available, there's going to be teams lined up across the league that would love to get their hands on a 28 year old hitter. That is potentially the MVP in the American League this year and has three years and thirty five million dollars left on a contract in this current MLB where everybody's looking to shed salary. So he's going to be tough to get. If I were looking at guys out there that could potentially be available, I mentioned Mitch Haniger the other day. Oh, and Annie. I don't love the idea of trading for somebody who has back and core issues right now and is on the 45 day injured list. That being said, that's the type of player like don't get lost in the name, but that type of guy where solid hitter, he improves your lineup. He's relatively cheap. He's got two years of arbitration left. Look for something like that for the Blues this offseason. That's probably the type of player that the Cardinals. That's what I meant. Take two. The Cardinals are going to get speaking of the Blues, though. Petro's negotiation has officially gone national, and we want you to hear what Brian Lawton had to say about it. That's all coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. The Alex Petrangelo negotiations have gone international. Pierre LeBron writing today about a potential sign-in trade for Petro. Greg Wachinski of ESPN saying in over 15 years of writing about the free agency frenzy, I can't recall a more transparent attempt by a big name player to pressure his team into keeping him around. And earlier today, we had the great pleasure of talking with our friend Brian Lawton, former NHL general manager, former NHL agent. We asked him about what it's like to negotiate with 
uh, Doug Armstrong as well. I want to play a couple of the cuts from our interview with him because I thought he was great talking about this. Uh, The first one that I want to play for you is about what it's like to negotiate with Doug Armstrong. Brian Lawton has been on the other side of those tables before with some of his clients. So what is it like to be Right now, Alex Petrangelo's agent. Here's Brian Lawton, former NHL agent on that. Doug's a son of a gun to negotiate with. He's always very polite. He's one of the top general managers in the league, uh, but he's very firm. And when he's got something in his mind, it is tough to move him off of that. He can be elusive, but he can be direct as well. And I would imagine that uh, Alex Petrangelo and his camp uh, were a bit frustrated by that. One of the weapons at a player's disposal is to go out to the market and kind of announce to everybody that, hey, it's not really going that great. You might want to think about the possibility of me uh, being a free agent, which is a pretty good shot across the bow for St. Louis. Jamie, do you think that's what's happening here? Well, yeah, I certainly. It, look, it, it, it's. I want to break down a few things right there. Yes, Doug is for lack of better words, a son of a gun to deal with. He has been, it's well known, any player or agent that's come across has has pretty much had those same things to say about Doug. But as a fan, I'm happy about that. I want a GM like that. I don't want a guy who just bends over backwards for all the players and if it's not worth it, oh, well, we eat the bad deal. No, the Blues have never had to tear it down and rebuild it back up because Doug Armstrong has been able to stand firm there and say no at times. So one aspect, that's great for the fan base. It's great for the club. And the player has no recourse. It's not like the player can do anything more. And that's the frustrating part because he's done everything. Your on-ice product is what you are selling. Well, there's no on-ice product to sell right now. So what else can you do? You go to the media. And I do think that, I don't think like Greg Wyshynski says, the most transparent thing ever. I don't believe it's that. However, I do believe it's a player and his agents that want the fans and the community to know that Alex wants to stay here, that this is not impossible. But right now, Doug is standing there being that son of a gun to deal with. And Petro wants to try and soften Doug up just a little bit, you know, wants to give him a couple of glasses of wine, loosen him up a little bit. Let's get this deal done. It ain't happening yet. So what's your tactic? You get the public involved. You get the media involved. You get other teams poking their head up over the fence going, hey, well, that could actually be a guy that's available. So it starts to put the pressure back on the Blues a little bit to maybe pick up the phone and call them again. And you said something there too, Rivs, which I think people do need to remember. You know, all of this right now is looking at Doug saying, what the hell is this guy doing? Doug's not the Buffalo Sabres general manager, Jason Botterill, who basically destroyed that roster and had to be yeah, fired done to reset it. And look at what that GM did. He's given out contracts to, to Kyle Ocposo, who was overpaid. He's given out contracts to other players that are handicapping this team. And I thought Lot made a good point. You know, when you're talking 9 10, which I don't believe is what the numbers are right now. Yeah, I don't either. But you don't want to get into a circumstance that the Chicago Blackhawks are in right now, which I think is a good picture to yeah, look but at. You know, my argument to that, you know what my counter argument to that is? Cups, give me the rings. Ne- yeah, okay. But the Blackhawks had a decade of dominance. A decade and three and it Stanley doesn't look Cups. bad right now either. And <laughs> they've gone through a rebuild, they've, and they kept the only bad contract. Is where I was going to go with it is Brent Seabrook. Brent Seabrook. And but Brent Seabrook is not Alex Petrangelo. But that's and what I'm saying. knew it at the time. But that's what I'm that saying. That be bad. Yes. If, if you're giving out money to a guy that's going to play like Brent Seabrook at the end of his career, 
then you're putting yourself in a bad position. But if you're going to give the money to a guy like Duncan Keith, who is still effective, which I believe Alex Petrangelo is a very good comp to, then it's worth it. But he did make the good point of saying that if you're going to pay that money, remember that somebody might come along that's close to this and you don't want to handcuff yourself this way. But you have to remember, too, it's a sliding scale here of the salary cap. And right now it's a flat cap. But if somebody comes along in five years per se, the salary cap could look much different at that point. And also Petro goes from being that number one in five years to being a number three for you, which still makes you a dominant force when it comes to defensiveness. So we also asked Brian Lawton, or Jamie asked Brian Lawton at the end of our interview, well, what do you think? What should be done here? Because Lawton has sat on the other side of the general manager as an agent, and he has sat in the big chair of being a GM before. So what would he do if he were in Army's chair? What would he do with Alex Petrangelo, here's Brian Lawton on that. You cannot get away from the fact that odds are his value will be significantly less at the end of his career, that you are paying him for some past performances. It's not a great formula. It's not a great recipe. I would still want him on my team if I were the GM. He's a tough guy to justify letting go to free agency. Now, if the offer is he has to have $10 million, then I would tell you the exact opposite. That's just not something you could do. That'll have repercussions for the next 10 years. Yeah, there will be a player that comes along that will be better than Alex Petrangelo that you'll have to deal with. If he's within a range, for sure it has to start with an eight. I think that's where we're all at, is we all believe this could probably get done somewhere in the eights. Whenever we talked with JR a couple of weeks ago, he said the Blues at that point were at 7.7. And I asked him, are they really going to let this guy go over like $500,000? Are they really going to let him go if he wants 8.25 and you're offering 7.7? Now we've heard some more of the um, the hangups are not only the salary, but how the salary is distributed within the contract, the structure of it with the signing bonuses and the no movement clause. So there's other stuff that, of course, needs to be negotiated but if they can get that aav that average annual value the salary in that 8 million 8.5 million dollar range it still seems to me like this is the obvious move i will say this as well jamie after listening to brian lawton and somebody who was completely disconnected from the situation he's been on both sides of the table i do feel a little bit better about the alex petrangelo situation i feel now and maybe this is where i should have been all along Like, this is going to come down to the 11th hour. If it gets done in the 11th hour, great. If not, that's when I think the panic, or at least the concern, should really start. If he does officially get to free agency, I would be worried. But if it's... We still got basically two weeks until then. So in the meantime, I'm not as panicked as I was 24 hours ago after hearing what Brian Lawton had to say. Yeah, I agree. And quite honestly, if I could have any advice for Alex Petrangelo at this moment... Go take a vacation. I mean, I know it's not the greatest times to be, but find a quiet spot where you're not engaged with television or interviews or things that are going on and just get a week away. Clear your mind. Let your agent do his job. He knows where to find you. He knows what you're wanting. And then that way there, when the phone call comes, you know, you deal with it at that point. I think that there's a lot of noise. We're noise. I mean, look at our shows, our noise. Why? Well, because we're interested in this and we should be talking about it. But at the end of the day, we're noise in the background for both parties. 
whether it's Doug Armstrong or Alex Petrangelo. So I think that you, you just try to go live your life as normal as you can. I absolutely 100% do think they will have more than one discussion again before the deadline. No matter how talks have broken off, they'll be talking again. And if they're in that area of the 8385 annual value for Alex Petrangelo, and they give him the no movement, just do it, get it over with, you know, find a happy medium with the signing bonus. Maybe don't make it all signing bonus. Maybe you go 50% signing bonus. Get the deal done. Continue to put this team together so that you have a chance to win multiple championships in the next four, five, six years. Yeah, it's something that I still have faith in. Now, of course, the nerves do set in, but it's still something that you look at and say this this could go down to that final hour, which these things usually do with big names like this. But it also is time for Doug Armstrong and company to evaluate the team and say, what do we look like without Petro? And I think once you get to that final moment, once you hit that free agency opening up and you say, okay, I think this organization needs him around for six, seven, eight more years to continue this thing. And I think that's when it gets done. So free agency, is 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 a threat and it's scary but i also think it's an opportunity that's going to push these guys in a corner that says we got to get this done it's twelve sixteen. your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler a little bit of a report to pass along from jeremy rutherford we'll do that coming up on the other side plus our blues analyst joey vitale is going to join us to give us the latest on what he's thinking with the alex uh, petrangelo negotiation all of that coming up next on 101 espn We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. A little bit of a report, I guess, to pass along from Jeremy Rutherford. He said, I do not expect the Blues to buy out Alex Steen. His salary is $5.75 million, but a buyout would save only $2.4 million against the cap. If he's still injured, he would be ineligible for a buyout anyways. But beyond that, he believes that Armstrong still views Steen as an instrumental piece to the team culture. So again, that coming from Jeremy Rutherford, kind of what we've been saying throughout the offseason as well where we're we're anticipating that uh steen would be on this team this season right jamie yeah i mean army look at if we're talking about precedent here uh army certainly trying to set precedent where he's never given the no movement all that stuff one thing army is very proud of and the organization should be proud of is that they've never had to buy a player out and there is value in Alexander Steen, there's a lot of value in the player and a tremendous amount of value in his leadership and what he brings inside that locker room. So, Especially when all you're earning by cutting him or by buying him out would be $2.4 million. That's just, that's not going to get you to where you need to go. You're going to have to save more than that. Just nothing. It's just nothing. God, it's in not, this economy. It's not even go, what you make every year. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. <laughs> Joining us now is the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. He is Joey Vitale. Joe, how you doing today, man? What's up, boys? I'm not doing too good. I'm not doing good. I'm on this um, full cleanse. My wife's got me on one of these cleanses. What? You ever hear about these things? You hear about these things? You're drinking like juices all day. Why are you on the cleanse? Well, here's the thing. On Monday, I was at the Little Blues Golf outing. I had about me 16 of these tuna tartar tacos, little appetizer, little nuggets. Mm, those are good. I had about God, I had about 15 of them, and they're just not sitting well since then. And my wife's like, you got to clean out your system. She's going to put you on the cleanse. It's this thing where you drink, like, salt water in the morning of number one, and then whenever you get hungry, you mix a a big quart of water with, like, a tablespoon of maple syrup and then, like, some lemon juice. And you just keep drinking that whenever what? you're hungry. Sounds Man, good. Joey, that sounds horrible. Wait, no, what part, where do we put the vodka in? 
Mm. <laughs> hey, I'm about I'm about there, man. I'm about there. How long have My you been doing this, shaking. Joey? Just this morning. <laughs> You're like three hours in at this point. Yeah, I, I just started. I just started. That's amazing. I love it. Joey, all right, let's talk blues, if you don't mind. Um, there was we had a conversation earlier today with Brian Lawton. I gotta be honest with you. Brian Lawton made me feel a little bit more comfortable with the current status of the negotiations between Alex Petrangelo and the Blues. From where you're at right now, Joey, looking at this thing from the outside in, where, how are you feeling about these Petro negotiations? I feel I feel good, and I never felt bad. Um, you know, even last week and the week before when we were hearing Petro saying he's dissatisfied or, you know, maybe he turned down a Blues offer, the Blues offer it, you know, someone threw out a number like $7.5 or 7.7, which, you know, uh, to me, guys, that, that's all just – it's all hearsay. It's all fluff. It's all part of the negotiation. It's all part of the process. Um, did Petro's group on one end say, hey, let's make a statement? So it puts a little heat on Armstrong. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying it did happen, but it probably could have. You know, so uh, I've never felt bad about this situation from the very get-go. Uh, I, I have heard a recent, uh, I forget where I read this, was a legit source saying they're kind of flirting around that $8 million mark where maybe the Blues have offered around eight. I think once you get to eight, that number, that's going to be sexy enough for Petro to, to look at and want to stay here. I think once you were talking sevens, God, I hope they were never offered anywhere in the sevens because he deserves more than that. I don't think he's going to get nine. I don't think he thinks he's going to get nine, given everything that's going on. But somewhere in the eighth, if it's structured in a certain way that he likes with some no-movement no, no movement clauses in there uh, where he can stay home and play in St. Louis, I think he will. And right now, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, Joey, look, the thing is here is, unfortunately, this is a huge game of poker, right? And each guy's got a really good hand, and they're trying to win, and they're betting back and forth. But at the end of the day, to your point, I think anywhere between 8-3 and 8-7, probably 8-5 is the sweet spot. If they get to that on an eight-year deal, if Doug is willing to budge off the no-movement clause that he has in there, if he's willing to... You know, give a heavier amount of signing bonus. Maybe not everything that Petro wants. I think that both sides just need to realize that the other side is willing to work to get this done. And the moment that they realize that that happens, I think we'll actually have some real progress in this deal. Yeah, no, I agree completely, Jamie. Yeah, to me, it, it is that eight. It's that eight range. It's got to be somewhere in eight. And it's not going to be high eights. Um, again, I think it could have been, but given what's going on with the world right now, uh, I, I think it's going to be around that eight three eight four mark that, that will get it done. And it's going to be a little bit of a cut. Could he go out in the market and get nine? I think so. Could he get more than nine? I, I Honestly, guys, I think he could. I think he really could. And I know his, his agents are probably talking about it. But, you know, I think there's like any negotiations, game of poker, like you just mentioned, Listen, there's going to be hard feelings. There's going to be there's going to be sore spots, you know, between you know Petro's group and, and Doug Armstrong and, and the blue side. Um, like any negotiation, there is going to be hard feelings. But at the end of the day, it's those players that understand that it's not about me and this agent, or not about me and this general manager. This this has just to do with me in this room and the guys in this room. You know, this is hopefully the last you got to deal with a uh, uh, general manager, the last you have to deal with agents, uh, for Petro's side anyway, if you get an eight-year deal, given the fact that he's 30. You know, so really at the end of the day, um, can you step back from it all and say this money is fair, I can stay in St. Louis, and it, when it's all said and done, 
this is about me and the group inside that locker room. I don't care what's been going on here the last couple weeks to two months. All right, so, Joey, I'm going to ask you a question here. We, You and I dealt with different situations, certainly not Alex Petrangelo situations. Um, but was there ever a time when you were negotiating for a contract, whether it was trying to get that one-way deal, trying to make sure it was a one-way deal, making sure that you got two years instead of one, was there a time where you just got really angry at the club? And my point is, is let's say this deal comes to fruition. Do you think that Petro could come back at this at some point and just be really angry, even though the deal got done, but be really angry about how long it took to get it done? You know, I, I hope he doesn't. You know, Jamie, I think that's I think that's really just based off of different personalities. You know, do, do, does a player look at it from a positive standpoint and just be grateful that it, that it got done and, and here I am? Or, or is it a point where when things are getting bad, when you're in the slump of the season or down four or five years from now when you're talking about getting moved, even though there isn't a no-move trade, like maybe then you could get bitter a little bit. You know, the only time I really ever dealt with uh, ending like that was when, you know, I think Pittsburgh offered me an extension halfway through the season for the league minimum, and I was having a decent year. And then I got a little sensitive to it, And uh, but of course I took it. I was never a player that, that really had any um, leverage. You know, I remember when I became a free agent uh, in July 1, when I was, I think, 27 years old, uh, Al Wah here in St. Louis called me and said, hey, Arizona's offering you this. And I was like, well, what do you think? And, he's, and he was very honest with me. He said, Joe, I think that based off of the player you are, you should just take this. You, you should not go back at him. You should not say anything else. And just take it and be grateful for it. And, and I think that's how most players in the league uh, approach it. And, and it's probably the right way to approach it, unless you're a Petrangelo or a Roman Yossi or an Artemi Panarin. Um, and this is something that a lot of young kids get in trouble with. I was, all, I was skating with some buddies the other day. And there's a kid named Dennis McCauley who I went to college with who um, up in Massachusetts, San Jose and Worcester offered him a contract out of college. It was like for $40,000. And then his second year, uh, they came at him with like 45. He was insulted. He wanted 55 or he wanted a two-year deal and they never called him back. And then that happens a lot too. Where, <laughs> yeah. you know, players get greedy when they shouldn't be greedy. Uh, but for Petro's sake, he has the right to get greedy. He's had uh, such a great career where he has the ability with leverage to say, no, I don't want it this way. I want it that way. And you know what? The Blues can't be upset about that, and the Blues fans can't be upset about that. I know a lot of fans out there, why don't you just accept it? $8 million or 7 9 What's the between 7 9 and 8 9 well, $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of money. A lot of money is a difference right there. So, um, you know, and, and he's earned that right. That's the biggest thing. He, he's earned the right to, to negotiate and to pull out as much as he can because uh, why he deserves it. He deserves for what he's done here in St. Louis, the first player ever in the franchise to raise a cup. So um, it's just a patient game. You mentioned poker. Sometimes poker games go a lot longer. And, and this is just going to be a patient game. But I do like the wheels are turning in, in both sides direction right now. Joey, I also had that moment in my career. I was with the Red Wings. I just came off my first year with them and had a good year. Probably one of my best years ever. And Kenny Holland uh, sat me down in his office and he says, uh, okay. We're not going to do all the BS and wait and wait and wait. He goes, uh, we're going to offer you a, a three-year extension right now. And I said, well, that's great. I'm like, what's the money? He's like, I'm going to forget that you just asked that. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I was like, what? He goes, I just offered you three more years for the Detroit Red Wings. I'm yeah. assuming you'll take it. <laughs> I go, is it a one-way? He goes, yeah. I go, good deal. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. 
I mean, isn't it so true though? Like, uh, Jamie, Jamie, how many players nowadays, how many young 20 year olds would, would say no to that? Hey, I got to talk to my agent. You know what I mean? Oh God. Yeah. I was like, Kenny, you got it, man. Can I get a free t-shirt on my way out? That's, that's what I said. Whenever they offered me the show with Jamie, I said, hold on, let me talk to my agent real quick. I got to make sure this is the right opportunity for me after I've been producing middays for the last three months. I called my agent and fired him. BK, I can see you being like Cuba Gooding Jr. on Graham uh, McGuire. Like, show me show the money, me baby. The money. Yeah, 101. 101. Show me the money. I can see you saying that 100%. Well, we know that I say some things that maybe I shouldn't be saying. So that that, that would not be a surprise to anybody. Uh, Joey, we appreciate the time, my friend. We look forward to talking with you again next week and enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, good luck you guys with have the cleanse. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be be near a toilet uh, for the whole weekend. I'm gonna go All grab right. a burger. Talk to you later, Joey. Ten for. <laughs> That's Joey Vitale joining <laughs> us here on 101 ESPN. Man, I'm getting confident again. I'm feel. Alex Don't do this to yourself, blue, isn't he? Don't do this to yourself. He's gonna be a blue. Uh, He's he resigning. No, Rims did he just no, beat KO? He just beat KO the deal. <laughs> oh no no no. Okay, we gotta find a new sounder. That what was sounds- that one? It's a BKO sounder. That's not bad. BKO it's sounder. okay, but... We just used it in the first hour. Yeah. Out of, out of context. It's different that time. It sounded like something else. With Jamie oh. Rivers, it, it sounds like a tomato that's oh, hitting the, the stage. Well, maybe it's a big tomato. It sounds huge. With whoa, Jamie Rivers whoa. and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Paul DeYoung looks like he is gassed once again. It's becoming a trend. It's happened each of the last couple of years. Are we starting to see that the upside of Paul DeYoung might not be what we once thought it was while still being a good player? We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I do think he went into this year willing to sacrifice a little more, a little bit of his power for some on base and maybe to hit some doubles. He thinks that that's kind of who he truly is. You know, it's hard to say, you know, whether that the COVID symptoms that he dealt with had some impact on his strength. I think the reason overall, though, that you still view Paul DeYoung as a, as a, a core member of this team is that his defense is so good, right? He's elite defensively, even though he may not look like it because he's not one of these acrobatic type shortstops. He's a guy who makes every play, has a great arm. I, I think he's a valuable player, but I, I would agree with you. And I think if you talk to him, he would agree it's been a disappointing season at the plate. That was Mark Saxon joining us earlier today talking about Paul DeYoung. And I think it's time to talk about DeYoung and what he is right now and what he's going to be for this Cardinals team moving forward. One for 24, 10 strikeouts and just one walk in his last seven games. And Jamie, this has become a recurring theme with DeYoung over the last three seasons. He gets tired. He gets fatigued down the stretch. He hit 202 in the second half of last year. He hit 228 in the second half of 2018. Over the last three years now, if you look at his OPS plus, which is basically just how do you hit compared to the rest of the league and you include ballpark factors with that, He's an exactly league average hitter. That's not the guy that we thought that Paul DeYoung could be this year. At least I'll speak for myself. I thought he was going to be better than this. This year, he's got an 86 OPS plus, which means he's 14% below league average as a hitter. If this is the guy that Paul DeYoung's going to be, as we just heard from Mark Saxon, he's still a part of your core because he's a really good defender and compared to other shortstops in the league, he's still a perfectly fine hitter. You can accept what he is at the plate. 
but he's not a cleanup hitter. He's not a five-hole hitter. This is more of a six-hole hitter. And so now you have to adjust your your approach to your lineup, and you have to adjust what your expectations are around him accordingly if this is the guy that he's going to be moving forward. Yeah, and it's puzzling to me a little bit here because the season isn't 162 games this year. And I understand that it has been condensed and sandwiched and squished into a lot of games in very few days. And I also understand that uh, DeYoung having the COVID virus, what it may or may not have done. I shouldn't say I understand. We're still trying to figure out what the ramifications of that are. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, this is a guy that's a 6-7 hitter in your lineup. And you're only really staying married to this guy because he's great defensively. Otherwise, that bat is cooling off. It starts hot, cools off. I just don't think you can. You can't build a hitting offense around a guy like this. He's an accent. If he hits great, it's a nice bonus. But I feel like there's a lot of those guys like Harrison Bader. Well, if he gets a hit, that's a bonus. Now, Paul DeYoung in that category, too. Tyler O'Neill. Where else should we go with this? I think Tommy Edmonds kind of that way. Like Tommy Edmonds gives you a little bit more, but his consistency isn't always there. And he is an accent piece. He is in an ideal world. Tommy Edmonds, probably a six, seven, eight hitter in this lineup. He's your two hole hitter because you don't have anybody better suited for that spot. Same thing for Paul DeYoung in an ideal scenario. He's probably a six, seven hitter, but in this lineup, he's hitting cleanup or fifth. Most nights. This is crazy to me. Like the cleanup, you guys are going to have to help me here. Help me out. The cleanup guy is usually the guy that they got the word cleanup because he clears the bags, right? Yep. Okay, Cleans well, up the bags. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> cleanup hitter. Other reason to clear you, up. Hang on. How do you have a guy that is your cleanup hitter who can't even get to first base? What's he cleaning up? Because half of your batting order is, well, their defense outdoes their offense. Yep. I mean, think about it. Go through I understand. This. Go through the lineup. Well, that's what we I'm just saying. started. Go through. I mean, Colton Wong. Defense is outdoing his offense. Harrison Bader. Paul DeYoung. Tyler O'Neill. Everybody They're in this team, other pieces. than Goldschmidt and Molina, and even Molina, I think yeah, you could Molina's argue his defense has not been yeah. good this year. You have, you have one player that his offense outdoes his defense, and it's Paul Goldschmidt. That's the problem. You go around any other team that's contending or in a playoff position right now, their player's offense outdoes their defense. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I figured we would get something along these lines from the text line. And it, it is a fair point from the 636. You can't get a read on DeYoung this year because he did have COVID. There's a documented case of marathon runners who are three months recovered from having COVID and they can't make it a mile without being exhausted. I, I understand what you're saying there. And it is a little bit unfair to judge him based on what he's been since he returned from COVID. Maybe that is absolutely so he was the case. last year then. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. This is kind of like the Matt Carpenter conversation, right? Where if this was exclusive to this season where he was struggling at the plate, well, then no, I'm not going to judge him on what he has done exclusively this year. You give him a gimme. J.D. Martinez, great hitter, has struggled immensely this season. I'm not going to judge him as a hitter based on what he did this year, where as we talked with Jimmy Edmonds the other day, you don't have all of your tools. You're not able to watch the same video that you typically would. With Paul DeYoung, with Matt Carpenter, it's not that. 
This has been a trend. Paul DeYoung, the second half of 2018, struggled. The second half of 2019, struggled. And now it's happening once again this year where he's struggling. And, and we're I'm, willing to put the asterisks for this year because of COVID. Absolutely. And so we're you not look, completely unfair, guys. You look at what he's been for this team, <laughs> and he's a solid hitter, a guy that I am absolutely good with them building around. He should be here for the long haul. He's a good player, a good major leaguer. But he is not a pivot point in your offense. He is not a guy like a Paul Goldschmidt. He is not a top three to four middle infielder in <laughs> oh, baseball when it comes Goldschmidt. to when it comes to what you're going to get from him at the plate. He's a good player, a nice player, a guy that you like to have on your roster, but we have to know what they have now so then we can learn, okay, what do we need to add from the outside to make gotta, this offense better? Got to blow it up. I can't go into next season expecting Paul DeYoung. I'm going to just bypass what you just said. I can't go into next season expecting once again for Paul DeYoung to be a cleanup hitter when over the last three seasons now, this is no longer a small sample size. We are looking at about 1,300 plate appearances from Paul DeYoung. Over that time, he's been an exactly league average hitter. I can't expect more than that from him going into next season. Otherwise, I'm just fooling myself and hoping in one hand while doing something else in the other. We got a couple of good texts to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Text us anytime throughout the show. We love your texts. Um, From the 314, the cards have collected the largest crop of (laughs) 789 hitters. They're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's as we went through the lineup there, every player was like, oh, yeah, he got good defense, but like Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, they, when they hit, they're great, but they don't always hit. Now, another text um, that, that caught my eye, too, is uh, from the 309. Yeah, you guys are talking about a guy who hit 30 home runs. Yeah, he's a fine hitter. Well, yeah, he hit 30 home runs. Let's see it. He hit 30 home runs last year, but he also had a 320 on base percentage and was batting 230 for the season and struck out 150 times. There are other factors other than just home runs. And by the way, last year, to go along with those 31 homers, he had 30 doubles. If you're a 30 home run guy, normally you're getting more than that. You're getting closer to 40 to 50 doubles over the course of the season. So his slugging percentage last year was actually lower than his slugging percentage as a rookie in 2017 when he hit 25 homers and 26 doubles in just 100 games that year. So he has regressed in some ways as a hitter. His power is not what I thought it was going to be whenever he first entered the league. And his batting average over the last three years, and I know batting average is not the end-all be-all, but it does help you get that on base up a little bit if you're not taking a ton of walks. His batting average has been hovering around 240. I kind of know what Paul DeYoung is at this point. He's a 240 to 250 hitter. He's going to get on base about 32% of the time, and you're going to like the occasional homer or double that he gets you. A nice hitter, a nice player at the plate, not a guy that can back clean up for you. He's a six, seven, eight hole hitter. That's that is what Paul DeYoung should be for a championship level offense. Mark Saxon said it earlier. I thought it was a great point. This is not a championship level offense right now. That's what we're trying to build. That's what we talk about every day here on this show. And so how do you get that? Well, you get it by replacing Paul DeYoung as your cleanup hitter going into next season for some more certainty. You go into next year feeling like you know what that cleanup hitter is going to give you, and it's got to be better than a league average hitter. That guy can't be batting in the top four of your lineup. It can't be what you're expecting from him. I think he could be an effective hitter there, but I think you have to have more of a threat there with him. Like I think I don't I don't think he can be the threat with Paul Goldschmidt. You have to have another piece that can make Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung threatening. That's fair. 
I, I, I like that. I, I think you, you need at least one more guy. Yeah. This is what kind of the theme of the show has been the last mm-hmm. couple of days. I would love to get two. I would love to get two improvements in the lineup going right. into next season, but that just seems unrealistic. Yeah. So for the time being, if you could at least get that one other guy, that helps you. That makes you feel a lot better going yep. into next year. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So have you guys ever sat in your car and you look down or you reach down and you find like a french fry from mcdonald's that's been there for god only knows how long mm-hmm. you've had that experience before right and it looks basically the same as it did seven years ago whenever your daughter or your wife whoever dropped it down below your chair in your car right yes i wonder if that's well also, preserved i wonder if that's also the case for buffalo barbecue sandwiches that were eaten nearly 60 years ago what? How'd you drop that down in between your seat? That's a pretty How'd you have the same to... car. I want to know what yeah. that is. 60 years with the same vehicle? They're calling the it car. the Maybe you took the sandwich out and put it in the new car. Jesus. Original title? Buffalo barbecue smell. It's like an air freshener. Sorry, go ahead. They're calling it the 60-year Sullivan sandwich story. Tuesday marks the 60-year anniversary of Richard Nixon's visiting Sullivan for a cookout and a campaign speech. The vice president left his buffalo barbecue sandwich on his plate September 22nd of 1960. And the man that was at that place has kept that sandwich frozen for the 60 years since. 60 years with a, I'll repeat this, buffalo barbecue sandwich that Richard Nixon had half eaten 60 years ago. Half eaten too. Would you... I don't always understand the memorabilia thing. Mm-hmm. This one I really don't understand. Why do you need the half-eaten barbecue buffalo sandwich in your freezer for 60 years? Like, what is that? What does that memorialize for you? Yeah, like, I'm with you on this one. I think if you had a picture of him eating it, sure, and then you had the actual burger or, or just the, a whatever picture the heck of you it with is. him from that day. That, that would make sense. I get the I get the uh, the appeal of the picture together. I just look at it like, what's the end game here? Like, you're obviously not going to throw it in the microwave and eat it. Although that'd be kind of funny to do that and, and like live stream it. But the 60 year old Buffalo uh, barbecue well, sandwich. I didn't say I would eat it. <laughs> um, but what's the end game here? Like, is he trying? Like, that's why I say, if, at least if you had a picture of him eating it, then the sandwich, maybe you go somewhere and you can sell it to some other yeah. guy who's into that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. To me, I would just be like, yeah, this is stupid. He said, quote, as long as I am living, that sandwich will be stored in my freezer in a container that is labeled save. Do not throw away. So bigger question than follow up question. Let's say you're this gentleman's son or grandson. Time goes on and people, you know, pass away, whatnot. You're going through the freezer and there it is. What are you doing with it? Have you been told the story? Have you been told the story? You know that guy's told everybody the story. You know if the I'm story. reading about it in the newspaper, then he's probably told it elsewhere. It's like point. a yearly thing. He has a few too many cocktails, and he goes over the story of the day that Nixon left his sandwich here. You know that. Every five years, he's saying it's the blank anniversary of it. <laughs> like, it's the 30-year anniversary of the day when Richard Nixon came here and ate this sandwich right there. Yeah, yeah I think you got to keep it. Okay. I think if you're, if you're the grandkid, now, eventually... 
that grandson, that granddaughter is going to have a husband or a wife, and that husband or wife might accidentally throw it away the same way that your wife, Jamie, throws away your old underwear that you want to keep wearing, even though they've got holes all over them. She throws them away. She's got a stash. Speaking of throwing, by the way, um, I have a question for you regarding your Lakers. Uh What's the series at right now? Uh, Two to one. Four? The Lakers. Okay. So the Lakers up two to one in the series. And Alex, I know you're going to find this shocking. They're whining. No. Get out of here. I wonder who's whining, too. Oh, well, let me tell you something. The Lakers have presented a case to the NBA that their star, Bron Bron, LeBron James, is not nearly getting enough of his fair share of free throws in this series, and that they're really upset about it. He's only had two free throws. Poor Bron Bron. Maybe he's not doing anything to get fouled. Maybe go to the net a little bit more. This is official. They said uh, that the the Lakers have presented a case and that they're upset. He's only had uh, two shots. Two free throws came after Denver guard Jamal Murray was called for a flagrant foul for an elbow to James's jaw. Hey, I like Jamal. Um, (laughs) He says uh, then they go back to the NBA, the referees guys. He says we're dealing with the fouls through the proper channels and, and we think we've done a great job so far. Well, it is kind of strange. I mean, he had four free throws in the first game of the series, four in game two, two in game three. You guys know LeBron James. He draws a lot of fouls. He's going to the bucket. You've got guys that are all over him. soft. And he's drawing the fouls. In the previous series, for example, he had three out of the five games against the Houston Rockets where he had double-digit free throws. So it is a, a little bit fishy. Maybe he's not playing as hard. You know who's not soft on that team? Their MVP, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. Best player on An- the Lakers. Anthony Davis is really good. He is he's, really good. But I don't see the Lakers he's putting really a petition good. out there for their, for him to get more free throws. That's just embarrassing. Too. This is embarrassing. Sorry, BK. It's embarrassing. Anthony Davis is a really good basketball player. <laughs> it's embarrassing. You know what else is embarrassing? What? The play of Carson Wentz. Oh, God. Carson Wentz, uh, I guess uh, Peterson, Coach Peterson, was Mm -hmm. asked on a a Zoom interview. Uh, He said, uh, what do you think is going on and why is he regressing? This is always great when the coach says, uh, you know, and pauses. Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It basically, through the interview, did not uh, in particularly have Carson Wentz is back. He says, I just don't want Carson overall to feel like he has to make every single play every single time. I just want him to be, well, I just want him to be Carson or at least what Carson was. Ooh, oh, that's not what you want to hear. Um, so he also went on to say that he's not getting a bunch of layups uh, this season. Doug Peterson said that about Carson Wentz. NFL research. Now, when I say NFL research, I mean like the NFL's research department. So employed by the league tweeted out a thread yesterday. Eagles head coach Doug Peterson said there are no quote layups in the NFL when asked about Carson Wentz's struggles on easy passes this season. We checked. Here comes a thread. So they went through all of like the easy throws and how Carson Wentz struggling with the intermediate and long range throws. This is how they finished their thread. Doug Peterson is a good advocate for the difficulty of completing passes in the NFL. During his career as a starter for the Eagles and the Browns, he completed just 53% of his passes and had a 57 quarterback rating. 
both of those are bottom three in the NFL among 39 quarterbacks with at least 10 starts in that span. What does it matter if he was any good? It doesn't. But this coming from the official NFL research department is incredible. This is a mess is what it is. They have since deleted the tweets, of course. Oh, yeah. Somebody was like, what are you doing? From the official NFL account. They tweeted that out from at NFL research. It's like tweeting it out from the at NFL league account. It's wild. I've never seen anything like it. Speaking of the NFL, there are some really good games this week. There are also some really difficult games to pick. We need some help for our pick because we're falling behind the Rizzuto show and we cannot allow that to happen here on 101 ESPN. Ben Heisler is going to help us pick those games coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by fantasy and gambling expert for Sports Illustrated, Ben Heisler, joining us here on the show. Heis, I have to apologize to you. Last week, <laughs> you made a very good pick. A very good pick. You picked the Chargers to cover the spread against the Kansas City Chiefs. You had a great explanation for it, and I said, Heiss, you're high. This is ridiculous. I can't believe you're doing this to yourself. (laughs) Well, the Chargers covered the spread. They probably should have won that game if uh, their coach didn't get conservative on fourth and one. Uh, Congratulations to you, and I apologize. I have to give a mea culpa here. Uh, Great pick on that one for the Chargers last week. All right, so first of all, BK, I appreciate the sentiment. It wasn't needed. We're going to get plenty of stuff wrong over the course of the year. So at some point, when you are 100% right and I am completely left swinging and missing, uh, I'll just, you know, we can just forget about it. That'll be all right. Listen, Ben, if we're doing this job and we can't celebrate the wins, then I don't know what we're going to be doing here. I just, as long as we can laugh at the losses, that's all that matters to me. We'll get some wins, trust me. But as long as we can shake off the losses, I think we'll be just fine. Benny, I I had to ask you real quickly um, because you knew that that game, you picked that game for the Chargers. Was, is there any chance that the doctor who administered the uh, painkiller to Tyrod, was his last name Heisler? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I I have a few doctors in the family. I, I also have a few lawyers in the family, but uh, no, I will, I will say no comment regarding any connections <laughs> to the possible team doctors. And listen, I've I've been on Team Tyrod for a long time. Like I thought he was one of the more undervalued players in the league in Buffalo from a fantasy level. So I I wanted Tyrod in there. I was looking forward to the Tyrod Taylor opportunity. So no, we we had no connection. I will plead <laughs> the fifth, but uh, no, there was nothing involved on our end. So Heisey gave us a good pick last week with the Chargers at least covering the spread against the Chiefs. He didn't pick them to win. He picked them to cover the spread, and that's exactly what they did do you have an upset pick or something similar to last week that you like for this weekend necessarily call it an upset pick but I think we might actually have to consider the New York football giants at home against the 49ers who are a complete and total shell of themselves at this point they likely won't have Jimmy Garoppolo there's a possibility that George Kittle will play they're down their top two running backs and they're not going to have any sort of a pass rush without Solomon Thomas and without Nick Bosa and their secondary is already dealing with some injuries as well conversely the giants they were able to at least backdoor their way uh, into covering the spread last week uh, against the Chicago Bears on the road. Uh, And they still have some intriguing pieces there. They don't have Saquon Barkley, but Daniel Jones can still compete. 
He can still sling it around a little bit, and I think Darius Slayton could be in line uh, for one of my favorite fantasy plays of the week. I think the Giants right now, we've seen this line move all the way from Giants plus six and a half at home to plus four. Always like considering trendy home underdogs in this situation. Uh, so with already a little bit of line movement there, moving it from plus six and a half down to plus four. I do think the Giants can at least cover at home against the 49ers. They may not win, and maybe it's a Robbie Gold field goal that saves the day for San Francisco, but I do think the Giants are going to make it close and possibly win outright. All right, Benny, you talked about it. Saquon Barkley out. So that means uh, if, if you need a running back for your fantasy replacement, who are you going with? Oh, man, this was all about trying to find whatever running back you can because Christian McCaffrey is missing several weeks. You have Saquon Barkley, as you mentioned, Rivers. He's done for the year. Uh, and to be honest, his replacements in New York are not anybody that I'm particularly fond of. I know that many people spent a lot of free agent money on Deion Lewis or maybe even Wayne Gallman. Uh, they just signed Devontae Freeman, who maybe in a few weeks can be somewhat serviceable. But uh, there are a couple better options on the waiver wire this week for me. The first was Jarek McKinnon. Uh, I know that he's the number three running back on the 49ers depth chart, but this is still somebody that from week one was actively involved in the passing game, extremely efficient with his touches, but he was able to make the most of it. Uh, and remember that he's only a few years away from getting a pretty big deal to come to San Francisco and play in Kyle Shanahan's offense. He just has been hurt for the last two years. I think this is a great opportunity for him. You can pair him up with somebody like Jeffrey Wilson, uh, who's always found his way into the red zone and into the end zone as well. Uh, so I like both those guys. And then Mike Davis with the Carolina Panthers, another name to keep your eye on. Davis caught all eight of his targets when he came in for Christian McCaffrey. He's had that passing game role in the past when he was playing for Seattle. Uh, and I just like both those guys a lot more than what I'm seeing on the New York Giants side because we just don't know which running back they're going to get the ball to. We're talking with Ben Heisler. He's a fantasy and gambling analyst for Sports Illustrated. You can give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Benny Heiss. All right, Heiss, the Packers are a three-point underdog on Sunday night against the Saints. This is probably, in my opinion, uh, the best we best game of the Sunday slate, although the Cowboys-Seahawks should be a lot of fun as well. After what we saw from the Saints last week, I got to be honest, I'm a little surprised that they're favored by three in this one. But what did you make from what we saw of Drew Brees and what are you expecting from that one this weekend? I'm expecting a bit of a bounce back from Breeze. The Raiders are, are one of those teams that actually was not a particularly good matchup for them because of how much they like to run the ball. Uh, and they were able to pretty much jam it down the Saints throat on defense. They committed to Josh Jacobs. Uh, they got Darren Waller very involved in the offense. Um, and, and remember, this is the first week for Drew Brees in a while without having Michael Thomas. So I think they'll have some more adjustments heading into the matchup against green Bay. Um, you're right. It, it seems striking considering how hot the Packers offense has been in the first couple weeks of the season converse with the saints who got an impressive week one win against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, but uh, you know, had some struggles against the Raiders team that I'm not sure whether or not we need to be high on or not. I do think right now minus three is probably fair. We've seen the line move all the way in the direction from Saints minus six and a half to minus three. Uh, so there's been a lot of public movement on Green Bay, and it makes sense because of how good that they've looked. Uh, but I do expect Drew Brees and the rest of the Saints team to bounce back, especially at home. Uh, the stats and the splits for Brees consistently over the course of career have always been much better at home. Now, again, there's no fans in the stands, but I do think there's some comfort there. Uh, so I expect them to play a better game. I do think they can end up winning, um, but 
you're right. It just seems weird considering how good Green Bay has been to know that they entered this game almost uh, less than a touchdown uh, than a touchdown underdog. It's pretty surprising. All right, Heiss. Uh, there's a young man named Carson Wentz who has been struggling the first couple of weeks, to say the least. Is it bad when you get booed by the fake fans? It's bad when the <laughs> audio guy boos you with fake fans, for sure. But he's got the Cincinnati Bengals. On the uh, across the field from him this weekend, what is your willingness to start a guy like Carson Wentz? Be solely for the fact that it'll be against the Bengals. I love how you set me up, Rivers. I really appreciate this opportunity, whether you know it or not. Carson Wentz is one of my favorite low ownership plays this week, if anybody is playing on DraftKings or any of the other daily fantasy sites. You're right. He hasn't been great, but his offensive line really hasn't given him a whole lot of favors as well. He's had uh, the fewest amount of time to throw in the, top five, or in the bottom five in the NFL. Uh, there's been multiple sacks. Lack of wide receiver weapons. Jalen Rager is going to miss uh, some, a couple games as well. But I do think that changes this week against Cincinnati because Cincinnati only has two sacks in two games. They're generating uh, very little when it comes to uh, a pass rush. Um, and so I think you're, a lot of folks are going to look at Miles Sanders and think, all right, uh, Cincinnati, bottom five, stopping the run this year. It's going to be a Miles Sanders type of game. But what makes him so valuable is his ability as a pass-catching target as well. They use him in a very similar way that the Panthers have used Christian McCaffrey. So I think somebody like Carson Wentz could have a very big game, even if Miles Sanders gets involved because of the passing game. I think both of the tight ends and Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are in play. Uh, and as Cincinnati has shown, they're going to go back and forth with you. They're going to use their passing game of their offense. So this is going to be, I think, a higher scoring game than maybe most would anticipate. And I do think it's a good opportunity, especially for an Eagles team uh, that had, you know, divisional expectations with the Dallas Cowboys that were supposed to get back into the playoffs. Uh, they're dealing with all sorts of a mess right now, but I think this is a good bounce back stop and an important stop to make sure that they stop the bleeding at 0-2 and, and go to 1-2. and two. Let's stick with the quarterbacks as we're talking with Ben Heisler, fantasy and gambling analyst for Sports Illustrated here on 101 ESPN. I'm going to give you four quarterbacks here, Heis. I, I would like you to rank them for me rest of season if you could. Patrick okay. Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Mahomes, Russ, Kyler, and Dak. Of those four, how would you rank them rest of season? I mean, I had Mahomes as my number one quarterback going into the season, so it's hard for me to go away from him. It, it, I don't want to say that he's been bad the first two weeks of the season. He's just been, you know... In, a bit inefficient um, and they've had the run game work in their favor as well. Certainly in week one, um, I, I think he's going to have a big game this week against Baltimore. You know, that's going to be a shootout uh, with both of these offenses, And I think he'll start to pay off on where fantasy owners drafted him uh, with Russell Wilson. I, it's not that I'm hesitant on him, but I know that Seattle at some point, wants to run the football. Like that's been a, a Pete Carroll staple. They just bring in running back after running back into the stable. You have Chris Carson, you have Rashad Penny, you have Carlos Hyde, DJ Dallas is a guy that they drafted. So they want to run the ball, but their defense has been struggling to the point where they need Russ to be all over this passing game and to continue to complete these deep balls. I don't think they want that to be the case moving forward. I want them to get off to a decent lead and eventually settle into the running game. So I'd probably put him uh, third on that list, maybe. So I go Mahomes number one. Uh, I, I think Kyler Murray is is set to have an MVP type year. I, I think we're going to start to follow that trend because of how much he's running, uh, because of how much that offense continues to click. Uh, Kyler Murray could be looking at that third consecutive year of second year quarterbacks 
uh, becoming the MVP. And then Dak Prescott, he's still going to just have those games where he put up monstrous stats because the defense isn't going to do anything. But Dallas is in a similar frame. They want to be able to run the football as well. Ezekiel Elliott continues to be more of, of a staple in this offense than what I thought with Mike McCarthy coming in. Uh, so I'd probably go Mahomes number one, Kyler Murray two, Russell Wilson three, and then Dak Prescott number four. Last question that I've got for you, Heiss. We've been talking a lot about this this week, the 0-2 teams that could make the playoffs. Like, which 0-2 team could actually bounce back and eventually make the playoffs? We we know the stat. 10% of these teams eventually make it, and there's 11 of them right now in the league. So it would stand to reason at least one of them is going to make the postseason this year. If maybe our listeners right now are going on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app and using their promo code Brandon, that's B-R-A-N-D-O-N, which 0-2 team should they bet on in your opinion to make the postseason this year is kind of a long shot yeah make sure you use that promo code as well make sure our guy bk is able to to soap to, to reap the benefits of you being able to go ahead uh, and get that owen two team into the playoffs i will tell you this uh if you're looking at those same odds the owen two team that has the highest super bowl odds remains the philadelphia eagles now you know their their net points on the season is minus 28 they've given up 64 points on the year not particularly impressive, uh, but I do think it's a more it's the most winnable division in the league. Dallas has a very talented offense, but they have all sorts of issues on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Washington is going to be very hit or miss, and the Giants right now, especially with no Saquon Barkley, uh, are looking like they're going to be a bit of a mess as well. So Philadelphia, uh, they kind of did this last year, right? You know, Carson Wentz got off to a bit of a rough start. Remember, they almost blew that game against Washington last year, despite being, I think, the biggest favorites for week one in the NFL. Uh, they're going to get their season turned around and having a winnable division, I think, really helps settle this. So I will say of all these teams, the team that I trust the most to get it right based on the coaching staff, based on the recent history, uh, would probably be the Philadelphia Eagles. We just got a little bit of time left here, Heiss. Quick pick. We won't talk to you before Monday night. Who you got, Chiefs or the Ravens? Uh, are we doing this straight up or are we doing it against the spread? Ravens are minus three and a half. Give me both. All right, I'll take the Chiefs if I can get them at that hook at plus three and a half. And listen, Kansas City has won the last two matches outright against Baltimore. I, I think for whatever reason, they have ways to be able to win. They'll get ready for this game. I think last week uh, kind of stirred them up a little bit. So give me the Chiefs plus three and a half. And I also like them on the money line. Oh, I wow. like it. That's Ben Heisler. Just he was right about the around. Chiefs last like week. He's going to be right about them again this week. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Benny Heis. He's a fambling if family fantasy and gambling <laughs> analyst for sports illustrated heist we always appreciate the time man thanks so much for hopping on with us today you bet i, I like fambling a lot more than ganacy <laughs> <laughs> we could go either way with that thanks i appreciate you Hey boys. That's that's Ben Heisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. I like it. Chiefs on the money line Monday night against the Ravens. I will be picking the Ravens in that game, actually. Whoa. Straight up. What? Against the Kansas City How Chiefs. He, that's crazy. I just heard that he hates the Chiefs. Yeah, he's, I just heard he jumped off the bandwagon. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals pitching staff suddenly thin. How are they going to be able to get through this five-game stretch that they really need to go three and two in we'll talk about it coming up next on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn Brandon Kylie, the Cardinals pitching staff is suddenly thin. The strength of the team has 
I wouldn't say it's a weakness because, you know, that's the offense. But they don't have the same number of arms that they once did, Jamie. I mean, you look you at three arms. You look possible? at huh. you look at what they strategy. have going into yeah. the weekend. Yeah. yeah, I think they'd hit better. Ooh, three arms would make you a better hitter. Let me know when I can continue here. <laughs> you look at what they have going into the weekend, and it's it's getting a little dicey with who they're going to be able to throw on that Monday. They might have to go Johnny Holstaff on Monday if they have to come back and play okay. that double header. Okay, okay, you just made that made that pitcher's name. That up. guy doesn't even exist. Yeah, you you, you can't make you a pitcher's name. You played on the fact that we don't know the whole depth of the Cardinals organization. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, That's a good play on words. What he's doing there is he's actually insulting us, and oh. he's smiling inside. Are you insulting us with your blue rockers on? I feel insulted. In all seriousness. The Cardinals cannot start Carlos Martinez again. He's not going to start again this season. He's going to be injured. Why would that even be a question? You no longer have Miles Michaelis. Dakota Hudson is down for the year. Who's starting on Monday? What do we have leading up to it? So you got K tonight. So tonight you've got KK. He could go on, I guess. Hang on, I'm going to be like BK here. I'm going to write it down. Shall we The expected pitch starters. All right, next. You could start him on Monday technically, but you're starting him on short rest. Give me the guys who we have. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You'd have three days rest for KK if you wanted to start him again on Monday. Yeah. I don't know where you turn. After that, you've got Flaherty. Okay, you've got there we Ponce. Go. You've got Wayno, and you've got Gomber. That's your five-man rotation right now. Well, you got to assume Ponce is going to be pitching the doubleheader against Milwaukee. That's what he's doing here Friday so night. So Gomber would be the guy that you look at for a Monday game. But he's already starting on Sunday. I'm coming back with KK. It's and a no-brainer. Three days rest. I think you have it's to. It's a no-brainer. I think you have to. I don't know what you do. Then you take him away from postseason. You got KK. Give you a bunch of innings too. If you not really, he hasn't he hasn't been uh, stretched out. So who's our biggest innings muncher in the mid relief? Oviedo is the guy. Okay. You're going to so, have to have Oviedo start one of those games, and then you either go with KK on three days rest and hope to God that he can get you three innings, but then you're probably missing out on him in this wild card round. Depending on... The health is of John Gant. He's somebody who can give you innings, too. He's done in the past. And he just booted me. Oh, he booted you? Yeah, he, like, kicked me right in the... Well, that wasn't fun. I was like, John Gant. He's like, no. I mean, you could start him, but he's giving you, like, two innings. He he started in the past whenever he was stretched out. He's not stretched out right now. Stretch. Doesn't matter if you're stretched out right now or not. It kind of does. Well, <laughs> if you want to get I mean, four, not, five, six innings. I mean, not, if you have to play Monday, you got to go with your best, best pitchers available. And John Gant for two innings is going to be better than three days rest of KK. Understood. But what I'm saying is oh, if, yeah. if you go that route, about that? if you go that route, then now you're talking about Johnny Holstaff approach. So that, wait, that's who's what the that guys for the doubleheader here? For, for Monday, that's what we're talking about right now. Oviedo would be one of them. No, and but then, don't they have a doubleheader against Milwaukee? On, fri- on Friday, and yeah. And who are they, those guys? You've got Gomber in one of the, or excuse me, on Sunday. Is that when that is? Uh, Friday. So you've got Flaherty and Ponce de Leon are the two that are going on Friday. Okay, so, so then Saturday those are seven I, inning games. Let's not forget that. So then Saturday. Yeah, you we, can't turn around and pitch again on Monday. That's two days rest. If, yeah, okay. You've Rivers thinks that you only did seven. Hey, you got two more no, innings in Listen, guys, I'm trying to build a, a pitching staff here. If, if we have to go back to KK and then we go with Gant somewhere in there and then you could come back with Ponce because maybe Ponce not a part of that wild card rotation. Or you have a one-two punch of... You start with a Gant or an Oviedo, and then from there, that's just an ultimate bullpen game, which I think is what essentially it's going to be versus Detroit. And you're going to have to have probably Oviedo with the playoffs on the line starting one of those two games, and then in the other game, right before you start the wild card round, right before you start it. 
you're going to have to have your bullpen going all out in a game that really matters against the Tigers. And this is why this weekend is so important for the Cardinals. So what scenario do the Cardinals have to, uh, I guess not what scenario, what do the Cardinals have to do in order to avoid that? Three and two. Got to go three and two against the Milwaukee. But you know that or you're guessing that? I'm reading this from Derek Gould. If the Cardinals go three and two this weekend, that would put them at 30 and 28 on the year. It would leave the Brewers at 29 and 31, and the Reds would then have to win the series at Minnesota to be able to outpace the Cardinals. If the Cardinals end up going three and two and they end up second in the NL Central, it would not matter. Uh, how their record compares to the Giants, the Phillies, or the Marlins, because the second-place team in the division would get an automatic burn. Carry is a higher value, So right? they would not have to play those games on Monday. They've got to go 3-2 and two and then root like hell for the Twins to do well against the Reds over the weekend. Hmm. That's that's your scenario that you should be rooting for for the Cardinals. At least 3-2 and two and then get a good series from the Twins against the Reds. If you can do that, you get into the postseason. You don't have to worry about that doubleheader and the shenanigans that you would have to pull with your uh, your rotation and your pitchers just to get through those two games to be able to get into the postseason. Got to have a 3-2 and two weekend this I, weekend. I hate to say it, guys, but if you don't, and I'm looking the other direction, if you don't have a 3-2 and two series against Milwaukee and you have to play Monday... I- if Carlos isn't done for the season in terms of his injury, I, I hate to say it, but I think you might have to use him on Monday. Well, then you're just giving it away. I don't know if you're starting him or maybe you're using him in the middle of the game, but I, what other options do you have? A couple Jake Woodford? Of, okay, yeah, a couple of people on the text line have brought up Jake Woodford's name. and Woody. I, He's just... <laughs> Jake Woodford, I'm sure he's a nice guy, a good gentleman. And in the future, he very well may be somebody that they they want in their rotation. I I don't think he's there yet. Maybe you're looking at Reyes. I know you're not stretched out, but maybe you're looking at Reyes. I was thinking about that, but I thought all blue blockers over here would just jump down the back of my head (laughs) with that. He's not stretched out like John Gant's not stretched out. I mean, what, the most he's given you is a little over an inning so far that we've seen him this season? I could buy into that. I mean, you might have to be looking at a two or three three inning start from Reyes before you dive in. All of this is perfectly acceptable, and I'm with you guys. Bob Gibson available? He'd probably give him at least an inning, right? He could pitch 10. All of this makes sense, and I hear where you guys are coming from. The problem is you're going to have to play a playoff game potentially the next day. Playoffs? And so if you end yeah, up but if using— if you don't make the playoffs, what does it matter? Understood. What I'm saying is if you if you end up using that entire bullpen on Monday night, if you end up using them for a, a game against the Tigers— those guys aren't going to be available for the next day, and we'll see what their availability is. Like, if you use Reyes for two or three innings on Monday, he might not be available on Wednesday. So isn't it a doubleheader, though, against the Tigers? Yes. So that's really the biggest problem, is that it's a doubleheader. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a huge problem. Yeah, like, that's really, never mind the you know, what's a start on Monday. All through the top, top to bottom, they're, they're going to have to use everybody. Yeah, it's... And yeah, unfortunately, BK, to your point, yeah, they're going to have guys that they're going to end up using that they didn't want to. And it's just it's the cost of doing business at that point. I think it's all hands on deck. And I'm sure that's what Mike Schilt is saying to these guys going into this series. Like, look, guys, we need to win this series so we can avoid Monday. If Monday is not avoided, it is all hands on deck in terms of everyone is going to be used in those two games. If they play on Monday, really hard for them to get out of that first round. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't think that they're going to win in the wild card round if they have to play on Monday. I think that's where we're at with this team right now well, because of their pitching depth. You're going to need be- two shutout performances from two starters. Good thing they got the on- offense. On Monday, going. or are you saying in the, uh, wild no, in, the card round? in the wild card round? You're going to need two basically shutout performances from whoever's not 
used Even on short rest. that'll just be a tie game. Yeah, you, <laughs> you need some massive performance. Last night, the loss that they had last night against the Royals really hurt them. Really hurt them because now it just puts an even more added importance of what this series is over the oh, weekend great. in a five-game set against the Brewers. You awesome. had to take care of business against the Royals and the Pirates. They did so against the Pirates, and then they fumbled all over themselves whenever it came to the series against the Royals. And that's how you put, get put into this situation where you've got to perform well against a head-to-head opponent that is directly competing with you for a playoff spot. Got to go Jamie. three and two. It's your fault. Three and two. Root for the t- Twins. That's what you need this weekend. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. NFL Quick Hitters coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Thursday night football tonight, a game that you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN, as you heard from Ferrario in that 17-minute update. Whoa, it was 60 seconds. Six Jaguars, minutes and 45 seconds. <laughs> Three-point home favorite against the Dolphins. A fantasy update for you. It sounds like DJ Chark is going to be out of this game. That's according to reports all over the place now. So the Jags going to be without their number one receiver against the Dolphins tonight. So you're saying go Miami. No, that's not what I said. I'm just saying if he's in your lineup, I would take him out because he's not playing tonight. Thursday night football, though, you guys can feel the fever. Did you see what Gardner Minshew and Ryan Fitzpatrick were saying the other day, Jamie? I love these guys. I'm all in on these guys. Ferrario, if we could get this audio, Gardner Minshew and Ryan Fitzpatrick were going back and forth, of course, about facial hair. Because if there's anything that's notable about these two guys, it is, of course, their facial hair. So Gardner Minshew has a great mustache. Ryan Fitzpatrick has the luscious beard. Here was the two going back and forth. I think the beard is a cooler look. And I think guys that grow mustaches a lot of times have patchy sides for their beards. So they just stick with the mustache. I think I've shown I can grow a beard with no patchy sides. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to have respect for my elders. Um <laughs> You know, especially when they're much, much elder. Oh, be respectful. That's awesome. That was Gardner Minshew and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It. It's going to take a lot for me to get excited about a Dolphins versus Jaguars Thursday night football game. I think here it's it? going to be good, man. I'm Honestly, you've got two teams that are pretty similar as far as their talent and whatnot. Yeah, is it going to be picture perfect execution? No, maybe no, it's not. not. <laughs> but what it's going to be is it's probably going to be a close game with two quarterbacks that are, you know, school quarterbacks like whatever it takes to get it done and I like the the little back and forth there reminds me of like when I was a kid and watching like the WWE and you had the big guys right but then the the mid-tier guys jawing back and forth each other I feel like that's what these guys are like the nobodies but they're trying to make the fight look really good so that's two smart players though that know exactly what who they are and what teams they're on saying hey we're Thursday night football nobody cares about us let's make them care about us it was a promo they cut a promo that's what they did they should have had like Tail of the tape, the way in. I was going to say something, but I thought it was okay, not I worth it anymore. Continue there. It's not oh, worth I thought, it. I didn't know what the heck was the happening. The two leading there. running backs, by the way, out. for tonight. Like it, it takes a lot for you to be a number one running back on a team and for you to be rostered by like zero fantasy teams. Miles Gaskin is now the oh, number Gasky. one running back Gassy. for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> 
And on the other side, James Robinson, who's actually looked pretty good so far this year, is the number one starter for the Jags. So uh, an interesting game, Dolphins versus the Jaguars, Jags minus three. Who are you guys taking in this one for the 101 ESPN pick? Don't sell it. Come on. Then Jeff Hart's going to steal it. Jeff Hart's going to steal it. haven't done their picks yet. The fast lane's been saying them every week. We can go ahead and go through them. Who do you guys like tonight in this game? I got the Minshew mustache tonight. I got Jags as well. I worry, I worry a little bit about DJ Chark not being in there is a is a pretty big loss for the Jags. That being said, I do think they're just the better team, so I'll probably take them as well. But get, give me the next six hours to figure this thing out. Did Five you do your pickums yet? Yeah, right now it's the Jags. I did them too. As of right <laughs> now, it's my the own. Jags. Dej BKO. You just BK I'm something. changing my pick tonight. Let's continue here as we continue with some NFL quick hitters. Which long shot in either conference are you taking right now? So what I mean by that is at least 10 to 1 odds or longer. In the AFC, the only teams that are off the board for you that are right now shorter odds than 10 to 1 are the Chiefs or the Ravens. So you can't take the Chiefs or Ravens, but everybody else is on the board. In the NFC, it's a little it's a little tougher. The Seahawks, Saints, 49ers, which is weird. Cowboys, Bucks, and Packers. So six teams are off the board. They're all 10 to 1 or shorter. Who do you guys like as your long shot bets right now in the AFC and in the NFC? Anybody in particular that's standing out to you early? Just for this week or overall? Overall, to, to represent their conference in the Super Bowl. Oh, Ooh, okay. Jeez. I'll get us started. Yeah. Uh, 10 to 1 odds or longer, teams question. that I like. In the AFC, sure? I'm going to go with the no. Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I, we've you said they're a long one. shot. They're 10 to 1 I don't right know how now. the hell they're 10 to 1. They're 10 to 1 to win the AFC. It's because everybody believes right now the Ravens and the Chiefs are just on another level from everybody else in the conference. I think that the I think that the pay, or the the Steelers rather are right behind them. I actually think they're closer than Vegas is indicating right now. I like the Steelers 10 to 1 promo code Brandon on the FanDuel Paradise Sportsbook app. I would put that in today as one of my long shot bets that I can get my money back for. All right. So now I got to figure out who are some of these other long <laughs> shots. Patriots, I'll give you a few. The Patriots are 11 to 1. The Titans are 12 to 1. The Colts are 14 to 1. You could get your Browns at 22 to 1. Any Bills at 10 to 1. Any Take of the those Browns, stand Riffs. Uh, if those are my picks, then I'll, I'll take the Patriots at 11 to 1. I'm going to take the Titans. Titans at 12 to 1. I like the Titans. Yeah. Any he reason thought they why? lost the first two games. He just <laughs> I know. He found well, out they were really they won them and I thought those like, odds were even better. They're so much better than I thought. I thought those odds were even better. I don't know. I, I like the way that that offense looks right now, man. I I like I like what Tannehill's been doing. I like uh I like Derrick Henry. Their defense still makes me a little concerned, even with Clowney. But I don't know if I'm going long shot. I think I'd go Titans. NFC, a few long shot bets potentially are the Rams at 10 to 1. Cardinals at 12 to 1. You've got the Bears at 18 to 1. Yikes. The Eagles at 22 to 1. Heist just told us that he still likes their chances to make the playoffs. And then my long shot team that I've been talking about potentially making the playoffs still is the Falcons at 40 to 1. Where are the Raiders at? In the AFC, yeah. We'll Sorry, go I, back forgot, over I forgot to, that to ask that. They're in the AFC. No, they I are eighteen to one right now. They're now located in Vegas too. Are they? I thought this yeah. was the Oakland stuff. No. All right. So oh. uh, my long shot on this one, I'm going to go with the Rams. Ten to one Rams. Yeah. I'm. Mm. I wanted to say Cardinals, but I do think the Rams have a better overall team. So if I'm going to lean that way, ugh. I got to go Rams. I'll be different. I'll go the Cardinals. I'm with you, Ferrario. I I like the Cardinals at 12 to 1. 
Kyler Murray's having that year two breakout that we were all hoping for. Mm-hmm. We saw it with Patrick Mahomes in 2018. This is be better than that one. We saw it with Lamar. That's going to be tough. 50, 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards is going to be tough to beat. Oh, Lamar simple. Jackson, though, last year was tremendous in his second year as a starter. And now we're seeing it again with Kyler Murray. So I wonder if we're going to see it with uh, Joe Burrow next year. If he's going to be able to have that year two breakout. It feels like they better give him a better team than what he's got. Guys oh around him. Can they protect him from being on the turf the whole I time? I felt that way about Kyler last year, too. He was on the turf all the time because his offensive line was awful. He was either scrambling or ending up just getting crushed behind that O-line. They're able to put a couple of pieces in front of him. I think Joe Burrow might be able to be this guy next year. Last thing for you guys, Super Bowl or bust quarterbacks. Jay Williams said yesterday on ESPN radio show that you'll hear before Carriker and Smallman every morning right here on 101 ESPN. He said Patrick Mahomes is already in championship or bust mentality every year. So if he doesn't win the title, he'll be criticized for not winning the title. How many quarterbacks do you think are in that spot right now in the NFL? Like if they do not win the title, we will criticize them for falling short of winning the title. For me, I think it's easy. I think Lamar Jackson. Honestly, yeah, I think especially when you win an MVP the second year and they, you know, they they haven't really done anything in the playoffs. So for me, Lamar Jackson is Super Bowl or bust. And I know they got to go through the Chiefs, but otherwise, you know what I'm saying? Deshaun Watson for me, and mostly because of that new contract he got, I don't think he's there don't yet. don't think so? No, because we're criticizing his coach. He's got the excuse of the coach and not slash having, GM and, and not having Hopkins. And, but yeah, if they're putting him in the same tier as Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson are close to those two. Yeah, but the teams that he's on, I don't feel the team is at the same spot as those other guys' teams are. If Watson wins a playoff game and gets to the second round and then loses 27 to 20 or something like that, nobody's going to criticize him for that, I, I don't think. Um, meanwhile, like if, if Lamar once again falls short, I think there's going to start to be some talk of can he win in the postseason? If Mahomes falls short this year, there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, that was his best chance because that contract's about to kick in and now he's not going to be able to get the Super Bowls that everybody wanted. Well, you guys think whatever you want. I'm going to criticize him no matter what. All right. I think one other guy potentially that could be in that route is Tom Brady with the Bucs. And I think with the New Orleans Saints, you're going to get some of that with Drew Brees. If, if the Saints fall short this year after going all in on this season, I think you're going to hear some Drew Brees critiques at the end of the I don't year. think he's going to care. I think he's his last year anyways, <laughs> right? He's got one. I think he's... Brady will care. He's got a two-year deal, I believe, down in Tampa. Brees has got all of the records right now. The NFL, I don't think yeah, he cares. I think he's fine. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Stoltz, who do you like tonight? Who do you like in this matchup between the Dolphins and the Jags? DJ Chark to go off. Okay. It's going to be a little problematic. Oh, he can go off, right? He can go off. He's just going to go off the field. Go off into the locker room. What happened? Right into the showers. Did you black out? You blacked you out. Blacked out. That that drum line was, was very drum aggressive. Line. I the love drum, drum line. lines. I'm a little tired after that, actually. Yeah. yeah. I like when they get the... Anyways, uh, no, just kidding. Jaguars. That's a good drum line. I like the Jaguars. Minus Why three. do you like them? Because Miami, <laughs> defensively, not great. This kid James Robinson's pretty good for the Jaguars, yeah. a running back. J-Rob. The only, the only guy could... J-Rob, is that what you're calling? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, he's, we know He's him. part of the show. Okay. We know him. Gotcha. 
The only guy that I could see go off tonight for Miami is Mike Gusecki, their tight end, because Jacksonville doesn't defend the tight end well. And Jamie, go That's ahead. What I heard. Go ahead. There we go. <laughs> Figured that was coming. We're with BT now. Basically the same thing. <laughs> Mike Gusecki could have a big game. Other than that, I think Jacksonville wins wins this game. It's it's going to be close though. You get, this, two, you get two bad teams on a Thursday night. <laughs> BK's thoroughly disgusted with this game, by the way. I, it's, yeah, it's not a good game. Um, Thursday, Thursday night like home teams are, have been unbelievable, I think. I mean, the turnaround is tough. The, the nice thing for the Jags is it's not too big of, uh, or excuse me, for the Dolphins, it's not too big of a road trip. Like, you're not going from the east to the west coast or anything like that. But right. Well, of the state. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's a tough week for Pickham. It's a really tough week for Pickham. Yeah. I don't. I I feel for Jamie. I think he might get shot in the ass after this week. God, no, I hope so. No, no chance. No, no. He'll be all right. No chance. Right. I mean, it's it's Meat. tough. It's tough sledding out there. Meat's Meat. gonna be the one to. Well, he's got it. He's got it in the ass, the leg, the back. Mm-hmm. I think it's. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think at some point we have to start to question if Meat likes getting shot with the airsoft gun. Well, because is he purposely doing it? You don't put in your tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. I, I would feel really terrible for him if I felt like he was really putting his heart and soul into it and it just wasn't going his way. Yeah. If you don't put the tiebreaker in, like, come on, bud. Come on. How kinda am I supposed did, to have a lot of empathy? I got to it? the end of mine today and I like made sure I had it in there this mm-hmm. time. I was like, okay, and save. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, the Rizzuto show, they've been squawking. Have they? Yeah. They yeah, beat us by one point. God, Jeff Burton, stop picking every game correctly. He's talking to us. His Good dog Lord. is picking those for all him. The fa- all the favorites have won thus far. All the favorites. I don't know. He's got some sort of formula algorithm that he's using. I, <laughs> yeah, so what you're he's, saying is don't watch a thing, guess, <laughs> and you're good. So what you're saying, Stoltz, is this week is what separates the boys from the men. Thank you, And for the audio. fast lane's about to show them who's the men. What See, I'm I saying, think it's weeks five through like nine. Those where you find out the guys who actually know about football. The cream of the crop starts to rise in October. I love okay. cream. Is that going to be the case this year when we didn't have the same offseason that we typically would? Probably November. Then. November? Yeah. So it's going to take like 10 weeks. The cream will rise to the top in November this year. I do find it. what I've heard. It's it's the highest scoring first two weeks that we've ever seen in NFL history. And some of that's because of the offseason. Some of that's because of no preseason. Some of that's because it doesn't seem like they're calling the same amount of penalties as we would see in a typical year. Which is great. It's awesome to watch, and it's great for fantasy football. There's more injuries right now than we've seen in most seasons, which is, which is going to change things. There's no home field advantage for most of these teams. I, I Except think for the Cowboys. And the the Cowboys 60,000 people in the crowd. And Philly. That, that was the difference. Did you see that, by the way? They, they announced 20,000. I looked at the final kick. That went through the uprights. There's no way. There's no way that was 20,000. It, it was easily 40,000 people in that place. Jerry Jones is like, just a little, a little, a little bit more in. Maybe they're counting people watching at home. In. Yeah, open it up. Open it. Just go ahead. <laughs> Everybody come on in. Just, Everybody, everyone, as long come as on, you man. have cash for your ticket, you can come in. Right, yeah. There's home and, field advantage buy in Philly. And to your point, NFL favorites so far this year, 24 and 8 straight up. There you go. Is this going to be a correction week? Like, are we going to see it? Or is it going to be a situation where this just starts to continue because there is no home field advantage? So you're not seeing the the home dogs. You're not. It's a weird season in a number of different ways. And I wonder if we're going to see some of this continue. These trend lines continue moving forward. I say at least four, four underdogs win outright this weekend. Oh, at least four. I like it. I like it. 
Who'd you not pick? five. Did you pick them yet? You give us the four underdogs. You did? Yeah. Here yeah. We go. What are the dogs you picked? Okay. Bruh. Yeah. Are you going to fade me? Uh, no, I that's, see. That's me. I'm the one that we're fading. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get BKO'd. I see Cincinnati upsetting Philly. Ooh. The Rams upsetting Buffalo. I like that. Uh, yeah. I see. Watch out. The Packers upsetting the Saints. Called that one. Earlier. I called. Yeah. I don't think that's much of an upset. Do you like though. the Cowboys? Still an upset. The Seahawks? I know it's technically an upset. But... I don't like the Cowboys against the Seahawks. And Cow- Cowboys. Cowboys got a, an easy victory. I think the Ravens beat your Chiefs on Monday night. Agreed. I could see. Believe it or not, I could see Tom Brady losing in Denver. Oof. Oh, against it's, Jeff Driscoll. If that tough. happens, then it, it's going to be a problem. It is tough to win early in the season in Denver. I mean. Unless no, you're playing Denver. Yeah, no Cortland Sutton, no Drew Locke, <laughs> no Philip Lindsay. You guys laughing at me? I this? am. It's kind of an angry laugh, too. No Vaughn Miller. It's an angry laugh. It doesn't <laughs> Number make, one corner out. Doesn't make no any Elway. sense, does it? Yeah, there's no Elway. Elway will uh, he be actually there. He might be there. Yeah, he'll be there. If That's that happens, do they talk? is the talk next week that Bruce Arians is getting fired? Yes. No. Should be the talk, this week. The, should, the, the talk should be Tom Brady was done midway through last year. Okay, Stalls, here's my issue with all this, okay? Oh, Before boy. I rip the mic off the desk here. <laughs> We've got 60 seconds, Yeah, well, Jamie, I got, we got 65. I don't care about the dang calm fast down, lane. Michael, calm Brady, down. Brady should be in jail. Go no, ahead. Listen to me. If you have a team, you have Arians as the coach, right? And you go out and you get Tom Brady and you bring in Gronk and you do all this stuff. You bring in guys who are used to a different offense. And then Bruce Arians is like, no, 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 no. I know that's a round hole, but I have the square peg and we're going to make this work. Why does he not just play the offense that can make Brady, Gronk, and his team successful? If he's calling the plays, who? Bruce Arians. Yeah, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> it's his offense. Well, it sucks. If I'm Arians, I'm sitting down with Tom Brady. I'm like, look, are you are you okay with in my offense? If yeah, not, we're I'd not going like, to sign Tom you. Tom Brady, I'd be like, listen, coach, in all, with all due respect, have you watched me the last couple of years? I'm a seven, eight-yard type quarterback mm, now. Who you signed got with who, though? Huh? Brady decided to go there. Like yeah. he didn't have to go to Tampa Probably Bay. Probably got he told by what, Arians. Don't worry, we're going to maybe pro- not use, compliment you. Maybe not Jamie, use the argument. Have you seen me the last couple of years, Jamie? When you go home, Shut take up. down the Tom Brady posters. No chance. Roll them up. Put them away. Nope. And for God's sakes, wash the Tom Brady underwear every once in a while, man. His wife. Took I prefer him away to wear the already. Giselle underwear. <laughs> Makes me feel sexy. Stalls, what's coming up with the fast <laughs> lane today, man? Well, we're going to talk about Carlos Martinez and that. Epic failure last night. What do you do on Monday if you get a play? Oh, so nothing. We'll, we'll talk about that and a uh, whole bunch of fun. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Until then, enjoy the fast lane. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's here. Peloton's best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton tread. Choose from accessories like a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, yoga blocks, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. Hurry, Peloton's best offer of the season is here, but not for long. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Limited time offer cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.